You understand the meaning of the word foreboding? As in badness is happening right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind. Oh, you guys are a hell of a duet here. Why'd you start harmonizing? Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook and roll with the Brooklyn boys. So for one last time, I need you. Because lobsters live for over 100 years. Now what the hell are you waiting for? After me, there should be no more. So for one last time, make some noise. That's for John Lennon, you Yankee fucking cunt. Detective Crockett, Miami-Dade PD. We got him. No one has ever tread before where we are now. We're seeing their operations from the inside. Your agency cannot know how they do whatever it is they do. Take it to the limit one more time. You first come in the game and try to play. Then you try to crumble the hits. Look how they wait to you. Boeing jets, global spread. Out the country, but the blueberries still connect. Things get emotional, moves get messy. Moves get messy, and the wrong people die. This the aim that you probably made you. If I owe you my bro, you will see there's undercover and then there's which way is up. Oh, you think I'm in so deep I forgot? I'll never doubt Hey, Connor. What's up? Do you understand the meaning of the word foreboding? It means, I've never looked it up. <laughs> it means badness is happening right now. Okay. Here's the thing about that line, right? Which is obviously in our intro. Yeah. Because our intro is basically just the Miami Vice trailer, which is why, listeners, you have functionally just heard the same minute of audio twice. This is almost uh, the the this film which you don't want to talk about is <laughs> essentially, I guess the, the, the fundamental building block of this podcast, this, <laughs> I'm just going to say this. If we're going by the theatrical cut, this podcast starts with a piece of music that plays over the opening scene <laughs> and ends yeah. with a piece of music that plays over the end credits. <laughs> so yeah, I'm sorry. Guess which one of the two of us does the editing. <laughs> <laughs> um, Here's the thing about that line though. Great line. Incredible line, right? So like, it doesn't see, he doesn't say it in the movie. It's just in the trailer. But and not this, in the like, director's cut either. It's not in the director's cut. It's he, not like it's added back into the yeah. movie. Yeah. It's one of the great, like, hard-ass minimalist Michael Mann lines, I think <laughs> of all time. Like, I would put it up there with fucking, there's no time so hard that I can't do it. Uh, that's my money in your pocket. Uh, for me, the action is the juice, right? Like there's a every dead, time, dead guy on the other end of this phone. There's a dead guy on the other end of this phone. Every time yeah. someone says something like hard and stupid and cool in a man movie, I put Colin's foreboding line in the trailer from a device up there. But here's the thing about that line. It is not actually the definition of the word foreboding. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I said I never looked it up in a dictionary. For, okay, foreboding. Yeah. I think about this every time because what he says is, do you understand the meaning of the word foreboding? It means badness is happening right now. Foreboding means you have a feeling that something bad is going to happen in the future. <laughs> but in the context of the trailer, because Connor, have you ever watched the trailer? 
Does does he actually say right now? Because I feel like every time I hear it, it sounds to me like he says all around. Badness oh, is happening all around. That might be it. I may have just misheard it. But either way, either way, present tense, present tense. Yeah. So, in, but also, like, it's still you, happening right now, even if yeah. it's happening all around. It might be, might be say all around shit. Um, have you seen the trailer for this movie, Connor? I have. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when he says that, it's when he's on the phone with Kieran Hines in the opening of the movie. It's the fucking. This is oh. the scene. This is the this is the hand we've been dealt at eleven forty seven o'clock on Saturday evening. So that's he's also a great line. An Man, insane line. Um. <laughs> yeah. So so in the context of that, he's talking about Alonzo's in trouble. Your opsec's blown. Shit's going bad. This very second move. Not foreboding. Foreboding is, oh, Alonzo's <laughs> calling me. That's not good. It's the thing about man is like sometimes it's kind of stupid, right? I, I think love Michael Mann, but that's the magic of it. He's the magic of it. He, Michael Mann, it's like to enjoy Michael Mann is like enjoying a Cormac McCarthy novel. Well, I'm and illiterate. They both kind of, so <laughs> they both kind of share in this that like. They don't they 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 are they are maximalists in terms of poeticism, but they like they don't stray away from the artistry of what they see themselves as high literary beings like like yeah. man sees himself in the same camp as like a Camus or a Sartre. He's a philosopher. Yeah, he's he just like fucking can't stop but make shit about cops and robbers. And he just loves to see, see people shooting guns is the yeah. thing that gets him off. Have I else. have I ever floated my grand Tony Scott Michael Mann dichotomy to you? No, but I've been thinking about Tony Scott a lot while I've been watching Mann's yeah. films. Well, yeah. My 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 grand Tony Scott Michael Mann dichotomy is that I think on their face and obviously late period Tony Scott is fucking like insane formalist nonsense borderline <laughs> avant-garde filmmaking right but on yeah. their face tony and i think two guys who kind of come up at the same time making similar types of movies who are very yeah aesthetic first but like if you think about tony scott i think tony scott makes these big loud populist rah-rah you know, action movies. And Michael Mann, even from the beginning, is moodier and darker and more interested in like the the, the scum of the earth, right? Like that I think is the big obvious yeah, dichotomy. But I think the interesting thing is that like, you know, Top Gun, Days of Thunder are are brighter and more candy colored than like your thieves, your heats, your manhunters. But at the end of the day, Tony Scott is this like scorched earth nihilist who who like hates humanity and hates institutions and his movies are underneath that sheen deeply deeply cynical and mean-spirited and ugly whereas michael yeah. mann is this like big-hearted softy who loves people so much and is this <laughs> yeah. like weeping like almost circian romantic did you get what i'm saying that with between those two guys i do i do yeah that tony scott's vision of the world is more it just think about think about 
the like romantic portrayals in both of their films where Tony <laughs> Scott's is more that like romance isn't real. There's, there's attraction and that kind of like forces you to act in a certain way because of how physically attracted you may be to somebody or how um, structurally attracted to like their position in the world you might be to somebody. And then man's is man's is like, people cannot stop falling in love with each other. And it's all this other bullshit in the world that, that tears them apart. And I mean, it is kind of heartwarming. Is, I mean, that's that's it's the, so that's the thing. Yeah, heartwarming. I mean, a lot of his movies are people damned by that. But damn, if if the tension of Tony Scott is ultimately like, how do you as a human being, like, try to live a just life in an evil, evil world? And usually, his movies end with people either like being defeated or. Uh, like subsuming themselves into these like awful structures yeah Um, man is more like i mean it is it is the heat thing it's that question of like you know do you drop everything in 30 seconds flat no you can't feel the heat around the corner but you you can't but you but but no one in his movies ever can and that goes back to thief right that like yeah that's the whole structure of thief is that he he can't give up any of these things he loves and that's the ultimate death knell. I mean, it. I don't like Public Enemies. Uh, you like Public Enemies, right? Um, I don't know if I have like a binary opinion about Public Enemies. I, I, it's, it's not a holistic film. I think. Do you kind of yes. get what I'm saying? Like, I kind of are... regret not putting Bale in Public Enemies <laughs> on the rush floor. I've been thinking about that performance. I think that would have been a who. What did you? Oh, you picked American Psycho. I had to, man. Yeah. Um, no, the Prestige. His him in the Prestige is better than him in Public Enemies. He's I really think. good. I don't you think who else is. You know who's really fucking good in Public Enemies is fucking Billy Crudup as Hoover. That's <laughs> yeah. like maybe my favorite. Who I love Billy Crudup. Um, good you've pull. seen you've seen High Fidelity, right? Uh yes yes you yeah. know you know the bit in High Fidelity where he's like that's where Dillinger got shot you know why he got shot his fucking girlfriend gave him up and it's yeah. like this really incisive like dude is mad at the world because he just got dumped line yeah that that is kind of why Michael Mann made High Fidelity though right I mean made Public Enemies like, yeah I was like right? <laughs> do you think Michael Mann could have ever made a movie like High Fidelity no. like I don't know if that's possible yeah no you. I know you guys, you all roasted me in the group chat when I said I would put High Fidelity on a sight and sound list, but I think I that didn't. is like, you did it. I did did, but uh, yeah, someone that uh, everybody will meet next week. That that Maybe. movie has, I, I'm sorry, that movie has like a fucking almost old Hollywood style, like formal mastery to how it is shot and edited. Michael, Michael Mann's like sloppy vibes energy, and I say that as a compliment, is at exact odds with this like, insane <laughs> clockwork precision that Frears yeah. brings to Philly. And that Frears, I'm going to say, brought to a lot of movies back in the day. Like, I a know we rag on Stephen Frears now, and for good reason. The man made The Grifters, the man made Dirty Pretty Things, the man made My Beautiful Laundrette. Like, the man could fucking make a movie. We're gonna do him later, right? Which, Am I wrong? What? I think Wait, you're let me, wrong. Let me, look, let me look. Let me look real quick. I feel like it could have just been other dossiers that I was putting together. No, no, we're not going. No, to do that. I mean, I would. Well, I would like 
to have seen it 20 years ago. Although people said his last movie was good. And did you see his Lance Armstrong biopic with Ben Foster? I haven't seen either of those. As a movie, but Ben Foster is incredible in that movie. Like, truly. So, Freers can still get good performances out of people. That is Ben Foster's best performance. It's Foster on the list. If you had like a top five of most underrated actors working right now, is, is uh, nope. I think nope. he might be on mine. I think he is an okay actor who really likes to give one performance over and over again. <laughs> yeah, I, I can. See like, that. how many? The deal with him though is whenever he's on screen, you, you, you're not you're not looking at your phone. You know, you're not pulling. You're not thinking about anything else. You, you're just watching him. See, the thing is... He's in a lot of films. Let me just say, he's in a yeah. lot of films, too, where he shows up for for a small stretch of the film, and then the second he leaves, the film becomes far less interesting than it is when he's Maybe. in it. I, you're giving him a lot of credit. The, the thing about Foster is, I'm just looking at Ben Foster's filmography, and, like, all the performances recent, in, like, the last 10 years that, like, stand out to me are the ones where he's not being Ben Foster. It's the Lance Armstrong movie. It's Leave No Trace, the Deborah Granick movie with Thomas and McKenzie. That he's, That's the one that I think I'm thinking of the most. He's outstanding in. Yeah. And then he's, he's good in Hustle. It's a weird performance he gives in Hustle. But like, I liked him in Hustle, I think. But he's not <laughs> playing a psycho in those movies is what it is. But the second Have you seen The like, Contractor? No, I wanted the fuck is the contractor? It's a uh, it's, it's not like a real movie. So special ops movie with um. Oh, yeah. oh, you know, you, you know why I know his reunion. It's his it's his hell or high water reunion with Chris Pine. Yeah. You know yeah. why I know what the contractor is? <laughs> why? Because that movie came out and everyone was like, this thing is a piece of shit. And even like the not, like. The people I know who like watch DTV action movies were like, this yeah. movie's a piece of shit. And then five weeks later, that director won an award at Con. Because <laughs> yeah. he won like best screenplay at Con last year. <laughs> yeah. That's all I know about the contractor. Is Pine good in it, man? I want better for Pine. He is. It's 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 not a very good movie. Uh but but both he and um and Foster and I uh, Kiefer Sutherland is the bad guy. Okay, well, yeah, yeah. so many. Did you see Dungeons and Dragons yet? No, I haven't yet. God, Pine, man, he's fucking good <laughs> in that movie, buddy. Pine is so good in that movie. Can I ask you right now? Do you think Pine was on the shortlist for Sonny Crockett? Too young. Was anyone on the shortlist for Sonny Crockett? No, I don't think so because Don John Johnson, um, Michael Mann asked Don Johnson who he would like to be cast. Don Johnson said Colin Farrell. They never they never got put in a position where they had to think about anybody else. Yeah. Because yeah. I know I know Jamie Foxx was always attached to this movie because yeah, it's kind of it's, it's weird his idea. that he was the one that kind of tanked the movie because it's his he was the one that jump started the movie. The he yeah. I'll say this, then we got to introduce this podcast and mention the name <laughs> of the movie we're talking about. Um, but he went up to Michael Mann at the Ali rap party because this is yeah. the third movie in a row he makes with Michael Mann. They do Ali, 
And he's a small role in Ali, but that's like his first big dramatic role. He's great, fucking incredible. A small role, but if I remember correctly from all the reviews, a role that was consistently picked out in each positive review of the film as being well, yes. a pretty out, a pretty exemplary performance given on the Oscars. We we gotta remember that Jamie Foxx was like kind of like a B-list comedian. Yeah. Like even yeah. on like the Def Jam circuit, he wasn't huge. He was like, and he was good, but he was like late in living color when the show was kind of running on fumes he was a comedian people love it when comedians give dramatic performances and he's so fucking good as bandini brown in any um, given sunday was like a weird fluke in his career up to this point yes yeah not a movie people liked connor you have to remember that no 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 my my dad hates that movie (laughs) and it's all because of when he saw it when it came out and and my dad's a big football guy and and there's a lot in that movie that i think for like football purists they they really can't stand um but you know i'm more yeah. i watch it more of as an estate so it's like, i watch it as an opera it. which is what yeah. it is um but yeah. yeah no jamie jamie fox comes up to michael mann at the ollie rap party and is like let's make a miami vice movie i'll play i'll play tubs and that's that's the genesis of this movie which is again funny because <laughs> Of everything that to, happens with Jamie no, Foxx like, in this movie. So Jamie Foxx Jamie Fox jump starts the making of this movie. And then cut to the time of the movie's re- release. There's literally an article in Slate yep. called titled Fleeing the Scene about Jamie Foxx refusing to, to film outside I, of the United States. I did not realize that that was public knowledge when this movie came out. Out. I yeah, thought I that think... was stuff that came out later. So what, what happens is Jamie Foxx pitches this movie to Michael Mann. I guess, Connor, as you said, Don Johnson floats Colin Farrell. And I know for a fact that everyone gets this movie comes out. Hold on, Connor, introduce the podcast and then I'm going to go into this. Right. Are you ready? I'm ready. A Bronx Tale. <laughs> Kate and Leopold. Phone booth. <laughs> Swat, <laughs> Miami Vice, Public Enemies, The Gambler. I don't know why I'm throwing that one in there. The Irishman, Armageddon Time. Uh, we got Law and these, Order on here. Oz, sixty one. Are these Dion <laughs> BB movies? No, no. The Wire, twenty four. Boardwalk oh, Empire. Oh, oh, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> can I? Can I say it? Yeah, Yellowstone, is that, man. Is that the film? The Marvelous Miss. Basil. Connor, are you reciting the okay. filmography of the fucking homie Dominic Lombardazzo? Yes, Lombardazzi. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Lombardazzi, sorry. Yeah, I am. This is like a remarkable, a remarkable filmography. I'm wondering if we should just be doing him on the show. Do you um, remember how fucking excited I got when he showed up in phone booth and I was like, this guy's yeah, one of my then... favorite actors, period. <laughs> and then I'm we not... literally did not mention him at all uh, when he was in SWAT. Because he's not in SWAT. He's like the henchman. He doesn't have any speaking yeah, lines. Yeah. He's for for a guy who looks like that much of like a lunkhead and like a heavy, he's such like a nimble on his feet, like almost like classical actor. He's he's so fucking good in Armageddon time. Yeah. I don't know why um, you brought that up. I'm glad you <laughs> brought that up. But Connor, what's this podcast? <laughs> this podcast is is above the title. Uh a look at the state of the 21st century movie star. And, um, you know, we've been exploring the career of Colin Farrell, our beloved Irish best boy. 
showing us showing us the last 20 25 years of hollywood <laughs> and what what are we talking about this week this week we were talking about michael mann's miami vice that's right it's probably the most important episode of this podcast and we are not going to live up to our expectations that we have placed I, on I have I have said on and off mic how many times I'm like don't want to talk about this movie uh and here's the reason why I don't want to talk about this movie and it's it's kind of twofold I extra don't want to talk about this movie because uh, I'm like if you guys can't hear it, like I'm losing my voice and I kind of feel like shit, which is great vibes. Can we just say right now, you're Connor, just your method acting exactly how Colin felt while he was making. <laughs> Can we just say right now, Connor, this is going to be the worst episode of this podcast. And then like, no one can give a shit about us farting on Mike for three no, hours. We can't, we can't give ourselves that kind of an excuse. This is going to be hey, worse. Forget, I was on Novocaine when we did. This is going to be worse. <laughs> I actually don't think American Outlaws is our worst episode. I think apologies to my beloved Jeff Sweeney. Congratulations on getting married, by the way, buddy. Uh, scrubs, because I am delirious and feverish during this. It was a good recording. conversation up until when you yes, ran out of the room. Editing it, the yeah. first half of that episode is good. The second half of that episode is insane. <laughs> um, okay. I know, like, I get weird looks from people sometimes when I say like the Miami Vice episode is the fucking sort of Damocles hanging over her head because like Miami Vice is in such this weird spot where like it is so thoroughly like canonized as like one of the best movies of the 2000s by like contemporary film culture and yeah. yet normies if you talk to anyone who is does not have a letterboxd account they're doing the don draper i don't think about you at all meme if know, you yeah. mention this movie they don't know this movie exists right but like so and i think because of that there is still 10 i think this movie really gets enshrined around like 2015 like when black hat comes out it feels like that's when the consensus overtakes of this thing's a masterpiece. I think so. Well, I, yeah. I kind of have, I have my own opinion of this maybe tied to my own. But I Cole, think you, you bring up a lot of times on this podcast. Um, you relate it to your own journey through becoming a cinephile, becoming interested in, yeah. in films, contemporary films, being knowledgeable of their release. This, this year, 2006 is the first year in my life where I, started participating in this kind of feverish fandom on the internet and following releases of film. So this Good is the fucking one. year for movies. I'm just going to put know, that man. fucker out there. I know, man. So this, this, this is the first, this is the first column film we're looking at that I actively remember the release of. It's, it, did you see this in yeah. theaters? I did not see this in theaters. No. I think I was still probably too young for my parents to want to like yeah. my parents would feel irresponsible for taking me to a film like this a at that hard point. fucking r too like yeah um, but if i can just say <laughs> here's my apprehensions and i do kind of just want to get this off my chest before we get into the movie the reason i'm kind of nervous about this is a because literally what the fuck is there to say about miami vice right <laughs> that hasn't like been at said, this honestly. point to say and b I think because this movie has this like reputation as an eternal underdog, 
even though it is so firmly canonized, right? Like it's gonna make sight and sound in 2032, right? You think? I don't I don't think that's an insane thing to say. Maybe I don't not think it's an hundred. insane thing to say either. Yeah. But but because... I still think if it did happen, if it did happen, it would be pretty people would be people on people that we know on the internet would be like throwing their arms up in elation and like oh yeah well that's, that's the point the i'm making yeah because this movie is like one of the last real film modites there is still in 2023 this insistence people take that they're like taking some bold stance to say that miami vice is good right and like yeah. i find it incredibly pathetic to be working that that like vulgo <laughs> or tourist hustle this late so part of the reason is like i don't want to be like we're two white guys on a podcast did you know that late period michael mann is good yeah of course you fucking know that late period michael mann is good it's the oldest news in the fucking world i don't want to come across like one of those guys that being said this movie is a fucking masterpiece <laughs> Yeah, I love this so, movie so much. I think I've watched it. I think I've watched it eight times in the last week. <laughs> I think I've uh, watched it. I think I've willing? watched. I think I've watched a theatrical cut twice in the unrated in the director's cut six times. Fuck the director's cut. I I, I prefer the director. Go cut, to but... fucking hell. No, Go to hell. Uh, what the fuck? Yeah. No. What do you? What do you it's the song. You just don't like the song. No, but... I like how it starts. No, I actually, I, I like that it starts with the Go Fast Boats. I hate that cut. it starts with the Go I Fast like Boats. I like that it starts with that underwater shot of in the darkness and slowly floating up and out over the over the ocean. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. No. It's the way this film should start. No, yeah. the way this film should start is with the Universal logo, five seconds of black, <laughs> then three notes, not even the first three Jay-Z notes, but Park. three notes from the middle of Nam Encore, and then just you're in a fucking nightclub, and shit's yeah. popping off. Because, I mean, that's the thing about this movie, right? Like, that. that's... It is almost opening that the way the theatrical cut does is almost the ultimate expression of the Michael Mann ethos in a way, because you're always in the shit, right? They're always doing yeah. their jumps. Well, you and know that's, how, I think what this movie's about, you know, how the one of the most frustrating things <laughs> in films is when they feel like they have to over explain, um, the mechanics of the world that they are depicting and they have to speak down to the audience. And then there are filmmakers that trust that not necessarily that the audience member, the viewer has the prerequisite knowledge to understand out of the gate, how these things work, but that the director, the, the film itself is giving them enough information along the way that they can piece things together. Just using like, mm -hmm skills of reason that human beings have that competent human beings have and then michael mann makes films where it's like you actually kind of need that prerequisite knowledge out of the gate and he expects that you'll just come to learn it as the film yeah, is progressing I, and, and this is like the truest the truest yeah. form of that that style of filmmaking which i think isn't i think that itself is probably the reason why people love michael mann as much as they do yes this this is not the most incomprehensible michael mann movie 
no. uh, because the theatrical, the theatrical cut of Black Hat exists, and the theatrical cut of Black Hat is actually like does not make any sense whatsoever. Like chronologically, uh, doesn't make sense. Either. The yeah. listeners, if you have not seen Black Hat, the theatrical cut of Black Hat rearranges the sequence of events of that movie, but not in a non-linear fashion. <laughs> like he, he, he shortly before that movie went to theaters, he moved some key scenes and changed where they place in the narrative and then did like bad ADR to make it be the new narrative. So Cause and effect does not exist in the theatrical cut of Black Hat. And then you watch the director's cut of Black Hat and you're like, oh, this movie makes so much sense if scenes are in the right order. This movie is just incomprehensible because it's fucking dense and the production was a nightmare. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also a movie called, also there's a movie that exists that's called The Keep that clearly is incomprehensible as well. (laughs) I right, I forgot about the existence of The Keep. Well, The Keep is incomprehensible because they cut 90 minutes out of the keep so I also something think they like just, that shit if i understand correctly they just like didn't finish it and michael mann was yeah. like this is not my movie anymore <laughs> the keep yeah. the most annoying aspect of i mean the most annoying aspect of michael mann fans is being like a 43 year old married man with children who still ins- like tries to be like <laughs> uh, i'm the only person brave enough to Say the Miami Vice is good. Uh, I'm talking about a specific person there. If you know, you know. Um, the second most annoying thing about Michael Mann fans is the ones who are so in the paint that they have to try to tell me that uh, the keep is good. Yeah, the, the keep, keep is, not, is not. The keep good. is not. When, when the are first, you... maybe the first thirty minutes of the keep is good. No, and then everything after that. Maybe like the last ten minutes of the keep is good. The last ten minutes. <laughs> when. When is someone going to have the fucking cojones to step out here and be like, uh, L.A. Takedown is one of Michael Mann's finest films? I don't know if you can do that. I don't know if I you're know allowed if you to do that. Because the whole narrative about Heat is that I L.A. Know. Takedown like, didn't do Heat so that he I'll, had to. I'll be the it. one brave yeah. enough. Like if you, but it's, that's like, that's like a take where it's like, you're, you're destruct, you're cannibalizing the narrative of Michael Mann's career by having that take, you have to recontextualize every other thing Michael Mann has done since the LA takedown had come out. Heat is also a boring movie for babies. So, Oh, he's human. Oh shit. He is, (laughs) he has gotten up and walked away from his microphone. (laughs) Oh shit. I think he's Have you? Did you see the quote? Um, when Michael Mann was asked about, uh, if Jamie Foxx leaving hurt, the film um in that yeah, culture said, article like, i want to see if i can it, find you, it you can hear yeah. the sound of silence yeah yeah <laughs> it, is, it is cool that michael mann talks like a character in a michael mann movie sometimes <laughs> i know <laughs> he's I like this. he's like cool ian fleming i feel like That's can i can i can i read you the most insane michael mann quote i gotta pull this up real quick go for it this is long so bear with me Oh, uh, okay. Here we okay, go. So this is. Wait, can I read? Can I read my quote to you first? Yeah. <laughs> when asked about Fox's impromptu departure, man doesn't speak for a moment and then just says, "You hear the sound of silence." Yeah. <laughs> so this, this is from an interview he gave with uh, Bilga Abiri from Vulture. 
Yeah. Uh, a big late Michael Mann fan, a kind of about like his use of digital abstraction. And this is a quote he this gave. This is an amazing quote. And like, this, one is, of the greatest, so, this is one of the greatest, like, this is a ontological film quotes I've ever read. This is opinion. a monologue people would give in a Michael Mann movie, too. Um, <laughs> yes. and, and bear with me because this is a law. He starts talking about architecture. And he says, when technology, i.e. steel, entered the picture and people were able to build tall buildings, they didn't know what a tall building looked like. So primarily in New York, they took the classical maison, ground floor, first floor, intervening third floors with a pediment roof. And instead of the intervening three floors, they made them the intervening 23 floors. So all around New York, you'll see what looks like houses stretched skyward. Your building was steel, but you don't know what it should look like. So you make it look like a masonry building. But in Chicago, you have the Monadnock building, which is the first tall building that is a form derived from its function and technology. That analogy holds true for me in film. If I'm going to use video, I want to find an aesthetic that derives from that technology. Uh, extremely cool that someone asked Michael Mann about digital cameras and he made it about why Chicago is better than New York. <laughs> 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 he can't help himself but i do think he's right okay i do too i agree with you connor i have been known to say to you that i think this is maybe the best looking movie ever produced by the american studio system yeah i've said that to you on multiple occasions that might I, be I, a smoosh of an exaggeration can I, can I admit something to you before we move forward? So we've yeah. obviously we've talked about this film quite a bit. We've talked about this. Of course film we have. We're two white guys. The two of us. We we've about talked about Michael this Mann. film with, with a host of other people that we were friends <laughs> with. We've spent probably like in the dozens of hours talking I about I still Michael can't Mann believe you guys didn't, you didn't come to that screening with me last year, dude. You should have gone. I was working. You should have quit your job. Well, no, but I should have gone because what I'm realizing is since I didn't see this film in theaters – when it was released the first few times I had seen this film, I watched it on HBO. And I think what I was watching was not a cut of the film that was derived from the original DCP of the digital file that yes. Michael Mann put together. I think what I had watched the first few times I watched the film was a scan of 35 millimeter film prints that were produced in order to distribute and exhibit this film before digital direct before yes. digital projectors had come into popularity in movie theaters and it looked horrible for that reason so well, i always imagine this film in my head as looking bad but i think what i was watching was a poor scan yeah. of the film derived from a secondary copy of the film so and, you're you're not going to like what i'm about to say well recently as I've been watching the Blu-ray and other digital versions of the film that are out there on streaming services, I have come to like better see what you have told me and what our friends have told me about how great this film looks. Cause there was a big gap when I had last seen this film before probably like a year or two ago when I had started watching this film again. Um, I, I think that's true at times though. I think at other times when watching it, 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 it does it, it, there. I think the techniques of shooting digitally hadn't caught up to, to what Michael Mann could have done better at certain points. And I'll get into that later. Um, but it does look great. It does look great. I, I, 
I love the look of early digital and I like it when anyone was using early digital to not look like film. Um, yeah. Obviously also the stuff in collateral and Ali, but I think a lot about like what Joe Swanberg's doing with commercial camcorders around this time. I think about bamboozled, uh, which I think is a stunning movie. Um, if you've never seen Wayne Wang's the center of the center of the world, center of the world, center of the earth. I can't remember the exact title, his like prostitute drama. Uh, that movie's incredible. That movie looks mind blowing. Um, like I, I, I prefer that to like the other digital experiments of the era with like Lucas and stuff that yeah, where, you, where you're already trying to make it look like film. And Cause Sky it's Catherine. never going to be interesting to make it look like film. If you, if you let it look like digital, I mean, this is why I've always said that Nolan should have shot Tenet digitally because he's trying to make film look like digital in Tenet. Uh, and that's why that movie looks so interesting. I'm going to say this though, Connor, you're not going to like this. I saw this with a mutual friend of ours at the Museum of the Moving Image in Queens uh, about a year ago, like today, I think maybe. Yeah. Um, we, did that in, sounds right. we did in fact see a 2006 release print of this movie. Yeah, but you weren't, and, you were watching the actual print. You weren't watching. Oh, yes, yes. But I was watching the print, which is while, what I'm saying. While yeah. I would love to see a good DCP of this movie because I do at the end of the day, I think you should see movies shot on film projected on film, but I also think you should see movies shot digitally projected digitally. I don't tend yeah. to like film outs or struck prints for digital movies. Um, I think it's a little cornball to be honest. <laughs> um, there, there was something about, well, they seeing... had to at the time when this film, Oh yeah. Out, oh yeah. Yeah. Had to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm talking more about like your fucking jokers, your fucking romas. Yeah. Um, did you know they had Whiplash. to invent? Did you know they had to invent a new film stock to screen Roma on film? No, I didn't he, know that. They, he, there were some like vanity IMAX, like 70 millimeter or IMAX screenings. No, it was IMAX, I think, or was it seven? It was either 70 or IMAX, but there were some vanity high format film screenings of Roma. But whatever it was, I think it was 70. There is no black and white existing stock. So they had to like make it was either black and white 70 stock or black and white IMAX stock. I guess solely for the purposes of screening. Uh, Incidentally, Connor, do you want to take a trip to Chicago and go see Nope on 70 uh, in a few (laughs) weeks? That sounds great. (laughs) I don't know if you saw that. Do you want to take a trip to Chicago to see Babylon on 70 in a few weeks? No, I don't. <laughs> I would not want to do that. Um, the music box in Chicago is showing Nope on 70, Babylon 70, and Boogie Nights on 70. And I'm like, oh, I want to go there. Um, I think, but I think the problem, this, can, I, can I say yeah. real quick? I think the problem, not the problem doesn't lie in watching the actual 35 millimeter print that's derived yeah. from the digital cut of the film. It's when you take that 35 millimeter print and then make it once again, digital. You're like, you're two degrees of remove away from the actual color science of the way that the film is supposed to look in the first place. Oh yes. And I think because of that, it looks like a bad TV movie. It looks like the TV movies that were shot on film and then transferred to like VHS to be able to show over analog television back in the late eighties and nineties and even early two thousands. The thing about seeing this on film, though, was just because because it was a release print from 2006, it was beat the fuck up, 
right? And there was oh, yeah. something like kind of captivating about watching this like pristine digital image behind this like sheen of analog decay that I think <laughs> scratches and dirt and hair. Uh, it wasn't that scr- it was the, there were sound issues. There was some color bleed out. Like I, yeah. I notoriously like watching Bad Prince. Um, I think it can be fun, especially if it's a movie you've seen so many times. Um, I once almost fought 700 people uh, who were mad because we had seen a like severely miscolored timed print of Suspiria. And I was like, you've all Uh fucking seen Suspiria. Isn't it cool to see Suspiria where everything's red? Um, And so seeing my movies, there's something about because this movie is almost about the sense of like a digital rot inflicting itself upon real humanity seeing the inverse where like the pristine digital image is like being overcome by analog rot it was cool it sounded awesome it looked great i loved it i would love to see a dcp of this movie i love this movie so much connor you hate this movie to speak on speak on (laughs) it's true i hate this movie It is true. I love Dune. I watch it every day, multiple times, even sometimes. And every day I go on Amazon and I buy a copy of Miami Vice just to light on fire in my garbage bin outside my apartment. Uh, how did you watch this, by the way? No, this time I, around. I, uh, well, I have the Blu-ray, which, which is the direct cut. Which, oh, so you have that Blu-ray. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I ha- I think I watched it on Tubi. Ooh, I'd watch this fucker on Tubi. Yeah. So there's and OG Miami Vice is on Tubi. Like the yeah. series itself is on Tubi. So there's there's that Blu-ray, and then there's I have the theatrical cut on a Blu-ray, uh, which is not the best Blu-ray because it's on a it's on the same disc as the fucking Kingdom, the other Jamie Foxx movie from 2006. Which man produced it, didn't he? I think so. Yeah. Um, and then recently Mill Creek, who put out that Blu-ray, just put out a steel book with both cuts. That's a Walmart exclusive that I'm probably gonna buy. Oh, really? Um, when but did I this don't uh, like earlier this year. Okay. It's it's recent. Like- but I don't know because like obviously this movie is never gonna look quote unquote pristine because yeah. it, it's just not. That's not the look it's going for. Even by that standards, there's like a little dodginess with the compression on the existing Blu-ray that I have. I wonder if it's the same transfer on the steel book. Uh, it still looks good as hell um, because it's, 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 I, you're, you're not a physical media head. Like I am Connor uh, for all the physical media heads out there. This is a mill Creek disc. Uh, if you know what that means. The, the director's basement. cut, the director's cut Blu-ray looks Ooh. unbelievable. It Ooh. looks unbelievable. Boo. No, it looks it looks good. There yeah. are just some there there are some moments where it's like the the existing blue is just a little too soft, you know. I get what you mean. I, I and 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 this movie's yeah. good because it's not soft. Because I mean that's that's what's good about old digital is well, that's that that's why so... I like that's why I like the way the director's cut begins with the shot of the water because yeah. the water looks like you've never seen it look before, especially coming from the New World, which also starts with underwater shots. It's that, really good underwater photography in the New World. Over it, it's good in both, but my Miami Vice looks so different and yeah. it's so punchy and it's so vibrant in a way that the New World isn't. And the New World is also an incredible looking film, like bar mm-hmm. none. You can't really, oh yeah, 
discount that in any way whatsoever. I have but, no qualms about how the new world looks. No, 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 no. We clarified yeah. that. You said that. You said that when we were talking about yeah. it. But the way the way that water and in, in the sunlight looks on on this in this film is unbelievable, and it's something that has been lost in the way that we use digital to replicate the way film used to look. Now I I have the same thought, but it's about a different moment. I was having the exact same thought about the drops of water on the go fast boats. Yeah. When they're going to Cuba, right? Because when they're, when they're going to Cuba, he's shooting a close up through the windshield, right? Mm -hmm. So you can see all these speckles of, of water. You know what else I caught this time? And I, I had maybe registered it in previous viewings, but this to me struck me as like, well, this is the value of the digital I I always think of the value of the digital is that when they're on the rooftops, you can see all of Miami behind them, right? Yeah. But what I was struck is there's that bit when they're in Eddie Marsden's house and there's that shot where Sonny looks out into the ocean. Yeah. Way, 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 way off in the horizon. There's a boat. There's just a boat moving. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You don't get that on film. And you see it. And you see him just to talk about that shot. It's like they're having a very serious conversation and you see Sonny just looking out the window at the ocean, just itching. He's like, man, I just get out there. But, 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 but it's, it's good that he's itching the facts that the camera can catch enough detail to catch an incidental boat in the background though, like extends the truth of that longing in a way that I'm sorry Film cannot capture the totality of a real space. You know, like, I, I think sometimes when we talk about the practical benefits of digital, we talk about the fact that you don't have to fucking reload everything and, like, resets are faster and storage is cheaper. And it's easier lighting to, like, easier. lighting's easier and it's easier yeah. to run and gun. And especially for someone like Michael Mann, who's going to do so many takes and is so complicated. I mean, this is this is Fincher's whole argument, right? Is that, like, he's just too perfectionist to waste time with film. Mm. But the other side of it is like it's also just easier to composite because yes. you have pixels that you're working with, which yes. is another thing that oh, yeah. obsesses but over. You also just get more. You get more in yeah. it, right? Because the sensitivity is lower, you get a better sense of the space. And for a movie like this, and for a filmmaker like Man, which is so much about I almost just said bodies and spaces. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> but but man is so much about the sense of like, how do you move and exist in a physical location? Because that's how you determine like the codes of how you behave, right? That's something that's key to him going back to fucking thief. Right? Yes. Sorry. I'm sorry. That's something key to him going back to the Jericho mile. Uh, Absolutely. I was just about movie. to say that. Fuck, you know what's yeah. a great fucking movie is the fucking Jericho, Jericho mile. mile. I love that shit so much. Uh, Jericho Mile better than some movies, Michael Mann movies that people like a lot. Um, Jericho Mile's better than Last of the Mohicans. Um, you just get more, not just of the city, but of the rooms in this movie. And then when you get into the city, when you get into the ocean, and it's just this, everything exists around them. Like, Miami's never been more real in that sense, right? Even though Miami doesn't exist in this movie, you know, they're they're so in their heads that that contrast. You you almost wish he could have shot heat on digital. Well, here's my deal. Here's my deal. And I, I don't know if you're going to agree with this. I feel like you're probably not going to. 
at those moments it's it looks better than any other film that exists yes but then the shots that do take place inside tight interiors look actively worse than they would look if no, they were shot i don't think so i think they look good as hell because because i think the the claustrophobia is amplified like it's all i don't know it's all of a piece to me i get what you're saying yeah. like nothing in this movie looks as good as when they're on the rooftop at night and like you just see every light in every building behind them and like nothing in any movie, movie nothing in any movie ever has ever looked better than the overhead shot of the waterfall next to um Montoya's house from the helicopter yeah. yeah um or that scene where they're in the house and they're right in the water and you just see the the ocean just yes yeah just extend out as as Tubbs looks at Crockett and Isabella go out like yes the big wides I like the paranoia that comes with how claustrophobic and gross the interiors are it is ugly to be clear I don't think it is well no no the interiors I think the problem with the interiors is that it's uh they're shooting handheld with with longer lenses to get these close-ups yeah and to kind of pinpoint what the viewer is seeing with these very tight blocking (laughs) instances that they have in the film. I'm thinking specifically of like when they're in the limo, when they're meeting Montoya for the first time, when when Isabella and Montoya are in bed together and she's telling him that she slept with Crockett. I think, I think those scenes look a little too flat. I I don't think it's necessarily what Michael Mann was, was aiming. When, yeah. Okay. When, when people are, stationary indoors yes yeah it can look a little flat i think a lot of the indoor motion is really good too. it is I in the club, like in the nightclub and yeah when they're dancing when they're moving through like the trap houses the God, sex scenes I, in the showers <laughs> i oh the sex in the showers are great even if it's the most yeah. obvious jamie fox body double in the world <laughs> uh it is i'm sorry um there's that one shot I always forget that this is in this movie. And every time it happens, I'm like, yes, where, where Yarrow, where they like take Yarrow into the trap house to give him back his stash. And like, it kind of just like, it alternates between moving with him and these like cross cutting to these like very thick shots of the other guys, like guarding the doors. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Zito and Zwitek. If that's what their names are. (laughs) That's what their names are, man. Uh, I, I think that shit looks insane i think the drab is same thing when he takes isabella to the safe house at the end like that all looks good but i was thinking about like yeah actually the the scene that really struck to me where i was like oh this kind of looks a little dodgy and i thought it might have been the blue but maybe you're right that it is like a flatness of the lensing is there's some bad shots in the in the standoff with yarrow in the opening where he pulls the grenade like there's some just bits of them like sitting that like aren't the super close ups, but like the mediums, they they do. I I will concede they do look flat. I think digital looks great at the extremes, but when you're in the middle, you're getting into that point where you're yes. getting too close to what film can do. It just looks flatter than what film. Actually uh, I I will concede you know this saying? because again, so much of the stuff that it is cited is like, oh, this is yeah. such good digital. Is like, what if I got the fucking camera like right in your fucking face? You know, exactly. Like but that stuff looks crazy. That, that stuff, stuff looks, looks awesome. Fucking. Yeah. Crazy. When they're in the hell, when have you Barry Shabaka Henley is in the helicopter and the camera is like right on his shoulder, like it literally, it literally feels like the camera is a parrot that's sitting on his shoulder, looking out the window as as he's flying the helicopter. That stuff looks 
unbelievable. I know it's it's almost a drinking game at this point that I bring up Joe Swanberg on a movie that has nothing to do with Joe Swanberg. <laughs> have, have, yeah. have you have you seen have you seen Hannah takes the stairs? No, I haven't. There's this there's this conversation near the end of Hannah takes the stairs between Greta Gerwig and Ken Osborne where they're like sitting underneath a window together and they're like really close to each other and they're talking and the camera is just like, I swear to God, like an inch away from their faces as it like zips back and forth between the two of them. And it's so uncomfortably intimate. And I find it like hypnotic that like you can fucking get in that close with a digital camera. Uh, and Michael Mann loves those like fisheye shots in this movie, especially, mm. you know, where like, especially with Colin, where he'll put Colin at the edge of a frame and get like right up in him and then let, like let the the horizon curve behind him. Looks so fucking well, good. I, I love that Michael Mann understands that because digital, because there's no artifacting at the edge of the yeah. frame, like, like a film, like especially like an anamorphic lens creates. Yeah. When you're watching a film that shot, on anamorphic it looks great but you could your eye is really always drawn to the middle of the frame you're never really paying attention to what's happening on the outside um but on digital michael mann understands that you can have important stuff happening in the corners and the edges of the screen and all sometimes what you're seeing in the middle is not the most important thing that's happening and the most important thing is happening around the edges and yeah i mean it's that sense of everything of course digital together of course, digital is always used best by these kinds of filmmakers that are so interested in creating a new different, uh, creating a different kind of film language of moving and yeah. moving image language like man and Spike Lee. And I don't think Fincher to the extent that a lot I of don't, people. That's my thing. I don't think Fincher at as, Yeah, I, I think Fincher, there's a little bit of Fincher. There's a little bit of Fincher in the social network. I think that's like he's doing stuff sure. differently because he has the cameras that can do it now. Danny Boyle, for example, Danny Boyle's like this, where Danny Boyle well, loves to use yeah. push digital to the limits of what he can. I do fucking watched. Yeah. I rewatched fucking Twenty Eight Days Later, and that thing just looks so good. And then, yeah. obviously, you know the the format switching in Steve Jobs is mind blowing. Fincher. Fincher wants digital to look like film, and it's the least interesting thing about him as a filmmaker. He's only interested. I don't know, if he, wants it. I don't know if he wants it to look like film. only interested in the efficiency of it. But he doesn't, I don't think he wants it to look, I don't think he wants it to, way, to look the way that film has always looked. I think he has this idea of what he wants film to look like, and yes. that's what he's using well, digital to achieve. You're, you're forgetting how fucking awful Mank looked. <laughs> with those fucking like ma- everything as i was saying it, i was like to well, make doesn't yeah. fall into that ground ma- but, make makes the yeah. egregious one because he wants it so to look like period film stock and i'm like just fucking shoot on film dave just do it if you want it to look that way i mean make did you see god did you see fabian going to the dogs from last year the dominic graf no. movie no uh incredible Fabian going to the dogs is by like long running, mostly journeyman TV, TV German director, Dominic Graf. Um, It's like a three hour, like farcical, almost Barry Lyndon-esque epic about young men in Weimar Germany, like as the Nazis are coming to power. Oh, interesting. Um, It's outstanding, but he shot it on like real low rent, like commercially available digital technology in like 2021. 
Um, and it, it's just such this like stunning sense of making the past feel like the present because everything feels like it. I mean, it's shot on like camcorders and like, but like at times it feels like he could have been shooting it on on an iPhone. And he does some visual tricks to like indicate that, like that he's shooting this digitally because he wants that sense of it to feel yeah uh, real the the movie opens a with public a public enemies thing but it's man. but it's better it is it is better at doing that than public enemies is um but i watched that movie and i was like fincher you actually could have done something with mank if you wanted to <laughs> but yeah. you didn't if you're gonna be a period fetishist be bob eggers you know like lean into being a luddite yeah and that's my take on david fincher uh i'm gonna fucking cry when the killer comes out though because i love i love david fincher so much i love him so much well to just to elaborate even a step further like i'm happy nolan doesn't shoot digitally because he's not interested in using the camera that way i i just think if he had done it on tenet i think tenet was calling for it and i think i do well tenet's the one yeah one like what did you from what i understand about oppenheimer it would be horrible no no i don't want an oppenheimer and it's it's not even the like the period films have to be filmed the digital the sci-fi films have to be digital because i think the film on like interstellar is good and fine it's just that tenant is so alien and cold and inhuman and this like sense of futuristic paranoia that like you watch the visual design of this movie and you're like he's building sets and choosing shot compositions that would make sense for a digital camera in the way he's not in dunkirk or interstellar yeah but he's not like but he's still the way it's shot is still the way like obviously because it's shot on film but i just yeah. don't think he's i don't think he's interested in, in pushing the limits of the camera i wish he way. would i mean i okay yeah it's like i know scorsese shot the irishman digitally because there's so many effect shots but scorsese also like built that movie's visual language around a digital camera and the way his other movies aren't. And I watched Tenet and I'm like, Chris, I think subconsciously you're doing <laughs> that. And I think it would just look better if you just shot it digitally. That's just Maybe. my take on Tenet, a movie right. I love. Um, and I'm like, I don't think he, like, I don't think there's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie that should have been shot digitally. And maybe he'll make one eventually, but. Or. A Tarantino movie. Tarantino. I just think most Nolan movies feel like film and Tenet feels like it should be shot digitally. Um, And that is my take on the film Tenet, which is otherwise a perfect masterpiece. Let me give you my, let me give you my secondary take on the digital on not necessarily why digital doesn't work, but it's been noted that man started using these digital cameras because he wanted to be able to push how he was shooting scenes at night that he could really push the, the sensor capability and be able to like retain these images with, with fast moving lighting setups, Um, especially shots that he would get in cars as they were like driving down the freeway at night. And so his first, you want to, yeah, you can reach just, just just for, just for brief context, his, the first movie where he plays around with digital is, um, is Ali, which just has a little digital in it, mostly um, nighttime shots yeah. that look great. And I think a little of the fights 
are captured digitally, but not most, but it's mostly nice shots. His first real digital movie is collateral where all the scenes set in buildings are shot on film, but because so much of that movie is people driving around in a car at night, he shoots all the car stuff digitally because like you were saying, it's just practical. Yeah. And you get that shot of the coyote and you get, but, but he (laughs) also then shoots for the digital. He shoots for the background. Like this is what I think of when I think of Michael Mann, it's that he shoots for the background, right? He shoots for the pores on people's faces and the buildings like 10 feet behind them at the same time. So continue your point. I just wanted to contextualize the digital. While I think the digital and collateral looks pretty great, but there's not a lot of highly choreographed shootouts that are shot digitally and collateral. Yes. And I think I, I it's really, so I we'll get into the, I guess maybe like the history of Miami vice after I say this, uh, it seems like, or just to put it out right, like it was a very tumultuous production aside from issues that they were having abroad, um, shooting in dangerous places in the Dominican Republic and Panama. And I think Brazil as well and Argentina because they were shooting in um Ciudad del Este, which lies on yeah. the border of those three countries. Mostly um, most of it I think was in the Dominican Republic. Yeah. And I know they wanted to shoot a lot in Paraguay, but and they were not. they were doubling parts of the Dominican Republic to look like Haiti and Cuba as well yes. while they were shooting there. Um and obviously Hurricane Katrina was coming while they were filming How? in Miami. Um, so they were they were having a lot of issues actually shooting in the United States at the time yes. because you know it's the worst hurricanes on, on record. It's every it was they had to go through. Every Michael Mann shoot is difficult, yeah. Uh, and this is the most difficult of them all. And it's <laughs> and, but uh, but but to Mann's credit, it, this is the one where it's really out of his control. That just like shit is just going yeah. wrong. Whereas the other shoots are difficult because he's just so demanding. Yes. And um, aside from like the physical demands of it, he was having issues with Jamie Foxx, which I'm 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 hesitant to put blame on him because we don't really have his side of the story. He's um, never talked about it. I don't think so. He so, and Michael Mann seem to like still have a cordial relationship to this day. Michael and obviously Mann- Obviously, Jamie Foxx is going through some kind of a medical emergency at the moment. It's been which elongated I, over the last few months. We Cole and I are big fans of Jamie Foxx. We yeah, wish we're, best, like to yeah. my understanding, I think the tabloids are making it sound worse than it is, and yeah. his family just and because his family just doesn't want to talk about it. Besides, every so often popping their head out and saying, "No, the rumor that he's about to die is not true." Um. I, I think it is getting a bit overblown. And regardless of what the actual cause was, yeah. since nobody has come out to tell us specifically what the cause is, we have, we have assholes coming out and blaming it's, it on certain things that are oh. political points and weaponizing this tragedy that's happened to like a beloved figure. Uh, I, I, I hope, I hope he makes yeah. a speedy recovery. He, he is and an I hope actor his family, I love. Me too. He's yeah. one of my favorites. I hope his family is okay. I, I hope they're all doing. I hope they're all improving. Whatever's I, going, on, I hope. I hope he gets healthy again. and makes another album and puts out another insane <laughs> music video. Um, 
You've seen the Blame It music video, right? Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> Listeners, I got to tell you, if you've never seen the video for the Jamie Foxx song, Blame It, uh, the video for the Jamie Foxx song, Blame It, is just, um, it's a pretty standard, like, Jamie Foxx and his boys, like, at the club video, right? But the posse in the video that like gets out of the limo with Jamie Foxx is Jamie Foxx, Forrest Whitaker, Samuel L. Jackson, Jake Gyllenhaal, and Academy Award winner, Ron Howard. (laughs) And that's when you remember that Jamie Foxx is a comedian. (laughs) Have you seen the music video for Just Like Me? No, I don't know that one. So... The music video for Just Like Me is he and Taraji P. Henson are like trying to outdo each other. Like Jamie Foxx gets a birdie while they're playing golf and then Taraji P. Henson. Oh, yes, I have. I have. I don't think I clocked that this was the song, but yes, I have seen this one. Yeah. Another pretty crazy. He's just great. I would like. He's been on a bit of think of like a downward swing, just like role wise lately. Mm -hmm. Um, I would like him to get better work just because he is a better actor. That being said, holy shit, he's got he's got seven movies in the can right now. Um yeah. but like just like looking including at like, including All Star Weekend, which I guess is never going to be released. Oh, All Star Weekend is never getting released. They won't let they won't they won't let him release it. <laughs> Robert Downey uh, Jr. has has that man gun, has that film being held under a loaded gun. Can I just can I just hit you with this? Cause like okay. In 2013, he makes the greatest movie of all time, which is White House Town. <laughs> yeah. Uh can I just in which he's not the action star, he's just the president. Uh movie. but he does yeah. kick some ass in that movie. He uh, does. He's it's just so funny. It's just funny that he's good. in the movie as the non-action role of the movie, you yeah. know. Can I just hit you <laughs> with his the last 10 years of Jamie Foxx projects? Go because for it. this is what I mean. I want it better. He's in Rio 2, whatever. Uh then he, he's in the Amazing Spider-Man 2, and he basically should have been liable for damages for being in the Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man 2. Uh, that's an, an embarrassing, like, I can't believe we made Jimmy Fox do that. But, um, that. but that movie gave us the most incredible use of special effects ever, where the electricity pushes his gap nope, teeth nope, close nope. together. <laughs> okay. This is really bad 2014. Then he cameos as Django in A Million Ways to Die in the West. Again, oh, yeah. disrespectful. He does horrible bosses too, whatever. And then he does Annie. Annie is not his fault. Annie just bombs. Then he doesn't work for three years. He comes back in 2017 and makes Sleepless, a movie that I think is fine. And he like functionally cameos in Baby Driver. Then he's in the fucking Robin Hood movie with Taron Edgerton. Did you know this, Connor? He plays Little John. He plays Little John. Yeah. Right? Uh, Am I wrong? Yeah, he plays. I did. I just found this out. Yeah. Um. Then he's in. Then he's in Just Mercy, which he's good in, but like kind of just doesn't take off for him. A very then, like, yeah, a very on base hit down the middle. An on base hit down the middle. He is not the person who gets the good buzz. Off. Just Mercy was supposed to be a a big Oscar comeback for him. Yeah. Um. He's not the person who gets Oscar buzz off that movie. Yeah. Not really his fault. And then, yeah, he's in Project Power, a movie I like that does not exist. He's in Soul. Really? 
He's in Spider-Man 3. And then, like, some people on the internet are going to be mad at me for saying this. Day Shift should have been better. Like, Day Shift was disrespectful. That that, that, that that movie was that ungood. Did you ever see Day Shift? I don't even have any memory of this movie at all. Day Shift came out last year. It was him... It was him doing an 8711 movie for Netflix. You know 8711? Oh yeah. Okay, I remember. Where it's where like he fights movie. vampires. Yeah. You Jamie Foxx as a vampire hunter in an 8711 movie that like I think Chad Stahelski probably did some second unit on should be a better movie than that. And unfortunately that movie is only good in the one scene where Scott Adkins shows up. And you're like Scott, 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 Scott. <laughs> when are we doing the Scott Adkins podcast? I know there already is a Scott Adkins podcast, uh, but we should do our own. <laughs> I don't know. I guess we have to get through. I just want, is he in like quiet Hollywood jail because of next, what's it called? All-Star Weekend. Like do the powers that be. <laughs> I I don't, I have no idea. Like, I hope we get the full story about that movie. Have we talked about All Star Weekend on the podcast? No, this is the this is definitely the first oh, yeah. time we've talked about. It. I don't think you and I have ever even talked about the movie. Oh, I talk about yeah. All Star Weekend with everyone. Okay, let me hit this out, listeners. All Star Weekend is Jamie Foxx's directorial debut. <laughs> yeah. All Star Weekend was shot in 2016, <laughs> right? And you who's might the say, second, who's the second lead of the film, Cole? Well, Jeremy Piven's the second lead of the film. Who's the third lead of the no, film? No, he's not the third lead. It's a small role. I'll explain <laughs> really? that. It's, I think it's a small role. Um, All Star Weekend was shot in 2016. Now, dear listener, you might be saying, wait a minute, 2016? It's 2023. How have I never heard of this movie? The answer to that question is, the movie never came out. Now, let me just read you this cast. Jamie Foxx, Jeremy Piven, Ava Longoria, Bob Downey Jr., Ken Jeong, Gerard Butler, Benicio Del Toro, DJ Khaled, right? <laughs> and you're like, Floyd Mayweather Jr., Snoop Dogg, <laughs> The Game. And you're like, Cole, why did this movie never come out? And for the record, Jamie Foxx has, as of yes, last year, basically given an interview and he said, I don't think this movie is ever coming out. Um, no one has ever officially said that this is the reason, but I am going to read you a sentence on the film's Wikipedia page on the cast list. <laughs> this is why this movie has never come out. Robert Downey Jr. plays, and I am doing air quotes here, a Mexican. <laughs> a character inspired by his Tropic Thunder performance. <laughs> What a, what a, <laughs> oh, you know what? You know what? I, I was wrong. It looks like Jamie Foxx did, in fact, more recently say that he thinks that Bob Downey stuff is why is the reason why is the reason, uh, the movie is never coming out. But this Isn't, movie's never coming out. Am I wrong? Isn't the movie about them going <laughs> to the NBA All Star weekend to like rob strippers or something like that? Isn't I that what the idea of the movie is? I think it's two guys who are like 
to like guys who like get tickets to the all-star game, kind of like an 80 for Brady situation where it's like, oh. we never thought we'd be there, be there. But because it was made in 2016, then like it has to turn into an action movie because all comedies were action movies back then. So I think like someone tries to rob the all-star game or something and Jamie Foxx and Jeremy Piven have to save the day. It doesn't sound like a good movie. Jamie no. Foxx apparently plays a racist white cop in it, which is probably like a good performance. <laughs> Like, I want to see white-faced Jamie Foxx. Oh, I want I to watched. show me All-Star Weekend. Yeah, it's just, I feel like ever since he shot that movie, like, he just hasn't gotten the roles. And, like, someone give Jamie Foxx a good role, you know? Can I float something out to you? Yeah. I think the soloist, I think that killed his career. No, he's still in hits after the soloist. He's in hits, but I think, I, I don't think people... I don't know what it is. He's like viewed as as poison after that well, movie. Let's see what's he doing. Uh, the soloist is good, by the way. I'm just gonna put that out there. But I, but he that that was clearly supposed to be his second Oscar. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Shit. No, but 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 then he has the Django horrible bosses Django White House comeback. You know, I think he's fine after the soloist. I, I like mean, him in Django. I wish that was a better. He's movie. so fucking good in Django. I wish it was a better movie because yeah. uh, that's a great performance. Um, you know who else is in Django? Christoph Waltz, unfortunately. Don Johnson. Yes, Don Johnson is in Django and Jane. The original uh, Sonny Crockett. Don Johnson is very good in Django and Jane. Um, yeah. I think we should probably table the Jamie Foxx conversation because I do too. We're, we're gonna probably want to Mount Rushmore him when he shows <laughs> back up in another movie with Colin Farrell later. Let me return. Let me return to what I was yeah, saying. Sorry, is that I know they shot the end of this film kind of very improvisationally because they were dealing with hurricanes as well as a bloated budget, as well as Jimmy Fox refusing to shoot in Paraguay, which was what the plan yeah, had so been up until that point. I think there's an issue with the digital camera being used to shoot with minimal lighting at night, which just because you can do it doesn't necessarily mean I, I should have shot it that way. And yeah, I just I, think that I think the final shootout of the film, I know there's a lot of reasons why it looks the way it does. I just don't think it looks very good. And I, I don't think it's, I, I, I don't. Think it looks, I think it looks great. I think it looks so fucking good. The final shootout? Yeah, it looks so good. It's I think so it looks fucking... so boring. It just yeah. looks so boring. Yeah. They're just standing behind cars and shooting at each other. And it doesn't look boring because people are dying in like horrible ways. It's it's bland because it's bland because it's, it's, it's a functional They are, shooter. but there's, there's a couple things that happen. There's a couple things that happen in that in the ending sequence. One is you get the shot of Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx give their like fist bump right before mm. they're about to drive off in the Miami Vice pilot episode. That's the scene that I sent you earlier today, where in the Let's air see. tonight starts uh, playing a thousand yeah. million as times. They're down, as they're a driving, hundred billion times. I've seen it so many times. It's so as good. They're driving to the shootout. In this one, you just get the two cars. You just get the two cars pulling away and then pulling into the area where the shootout is. That's going. Connor. That's the point. But that's the point because it's not fun, right? Like the whole point of the TV show was that this shit is fun as hell, right? Like that's yeah. the implicit message of the TV show Miami Vice, that they, they dressed great, they drove great cars, and that show looked better than anything on TV because that show was just like, 
pure visual eye candy. The whole point of this movie is that this shit sucks and is boring and incomprehensible and, like, you want to quit your job. It's fucking 13 hours all over again. And that's why there's no glamour or sex to that shootout because it's just a fucking... They, it's a thing they have to do. So here's... Sure. I, can we just get the Jamie Foxx <laughs> is difficult on the set of this movie stuff out of the way? Just just for context sake, because we've yeah, been sure, dancing. But I, I just want to say, I, I don't... I. I don't think that's I don't think the movie is saying that all of this sucks. I think this movie is saying that the action is the juice. No, there's no juice in this final shootout. Are you? No, this movie does not believe the action is the juice. This movie is like a firm rebuke of the idea that the action is the juice. No, I Um, think the movie is saying there's consequences. No, this. But the action is the juice. Okay, Jamie Foxx. This is stuff that has been litigated a lot. Like I said, I don't think Jamie Foxx has ever addressed this himself. Some of this stuff makes Jamie Foxx look really bad. Some of this stuff is, I think, kind of understandable. And before we say anything, Michael Mann himself has only ever said nice things about Jamie Foxx. Yeah, well, Michael Mann either says Jamie Foxx is a professional or doesn't answer the question, which is a little telling in ways. But here's what happens. Jamie Foxx pitches this movie to Michael Mann at the rap of Ali, which is probably early 2001, right? Yeah, probably. By mid-2004, this project is greenlit. Everyone's signed. This idea has gone forward that this is going to be a Colin Farrell, Jamie Foxx movie. And because it is 2004, as we've discussed, Colin Farrell is obviously the bigger star than Jamie Foxx is at that moment. He, when they sign the deals, he gets top billing. He gets more money. Again, now, like I said, you said, Jamie Foxx was kind of a middling stand-up comedian for most of his career. Turned, turned yeah. like, and, and was working and being a character actor. Now, I said early 2004. Connor, what happens in late 2004? Jamie Foxx goes blind, begins a career as a pianist, and yeah, uh, uh, you know, wins a multitude of Grammys. And So in between... In between them signing the contracts and greenlighting this movie and them actually entering production on this movie, Jamie Foxx wins an Oscar, becomes a huge movie star, and Colin Farrell's like downward slide begins. So apparently Jamie Foxx demands to be paid more than Colin Farrell, which they just take out of Colin Farrell's salary. They just um, even it by taking money well, away from Colin Farrell and giving it to Jamie But I, I don't think they were paid the same. I think, I think at the end of the day, Jamie Foxx was paid more. And Colin was paid less than Jamie would have initially been. Like, I think, mm, okay. the, or maybe they just flipped the original salaries. And apparently Jamie Foxx rolls up onto the set with like a huge posse. He's a huge star. He's got this crazy entourage and he's just a total diva and nightmare to work with. That's he kind refused of to fly commercial. Refused to fly uh, commercial. Huge yeah. monetary drain. There's like, the studios are clearly pissed at him because there's like leaks about his bad behavior, which happens when you're pissing off the studio heads. Um, they're shooting in the Dominican Republic, um, and a shooting happens on set. Now it is, it is nothing to do with the actual production. It is strictly just that like one of the guys they had hired to do security, I guess had a beef. Who was, who was, uh, essentially leased to them by the Dominican. 
yeah terry like yeah. one but one of the guys who was who was working security from the set like had pre-existing beef with someone who showed up onto set to pick a fight with this specific security guard who was right? an off-duty like, police officer yeah or the guy yeah. who started the fight was an off-duty police officer something like that no the guy okay the security that they had on set in the main cast, I just read this article. You, I, so I, was, I, I know off the top of my head. Yeah. The guy, the security that they had on set in the Dominican Republic were, were essentially on loan to the production by the Dominican military. They were not affiliated with the police department. During a filming day in in a plain duty police officer approached the set who presumably had pre-existing beef with yes. one of the Dominican military officers yes. who was okay being loaned out to the production as a security guard and that security officer shot the off-duty police officer yes. which technically happened on set because yes. they were he was guarding but set. it was but like i said it was just pre-existing it was it yeah. was strictly a thing between these two guys right it just happened to be on the set it had nothing to do with crew members it had nothing yes. to do with people that they were hiring it wasn't like someone was trying to break the Dominican Republic yeah it wasn't like someone was trying to break onto the set or something it was just happened to be there um at that point Jamie Foxx refuses to shoot anymore outside the United States and a lot of this movie's production happens in South America and the Caribbean um so that involves them having to completely scrap a planned ending in Paraguay which I think it just ends up being heat two probably right like i don't know if you've read heat two connor uh, yeah no yeah I, um i think about i i i've never told you how much i dislike these movies but i think about bad boys two a lot when they go to cuba i'm sorry you dislike what movie i'm sorry what yeah, I'm, did, sorry. I dislike, I'm sorry what the fuck did you just say i don't think there's a single michael bay movie that i i don't dislike Maybe first OG Transformers. I feel like I kind of like OG Transformers. Okay, so <laughs> let me just, let me just, let me just, let's just take a breather here. Michael Bay made Armageddon? I don't like that movie. He made fucking Rock? I don't like that movie either. He made fucking Pain and Gain? I hate that movie. I absolutely he, hate that movie. He made fucking 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi? I've never seen that one, but I would give it a he try. He made fucking Ambulance? I I haven't seen that one either. Hey, Nor have I seen the one the Ryan Reynolds one on that. Hey Connor, hey Connor. He made fucking Bad Boys too. A perfect masterpiece. Don't like it. Not ten out of ten. <laughs> one of like the great four movies. Half. Four and a half out of ten, maybe. <laughs> You're so stupid. You're so stupid. I'm sorry. You're just <laughs> dumb. What's it like being dumb? I you wouldn't know, I'm know. Fraternity Brothers with Michael Bay. Yeah, you should like his yeah. movies because they're great. Um, Connor, in all you didn't mention you didn't mention something when talking about Jamie Foxx that I just want to throw out there because nobody else ever has mentioned this when talking about this movie. And they kind of say that he won an Academy Award and then he felt like it was free reign to become a diva. But nobody ever mentions the fact that Jamie Foxx had been trying to break into the music industry for about 10 to 12 years. This is also part of it. And in 2003, he is featured on the Kanye West track Slow Jams, which is essentially his first song that that he's ever featured on which became one of the biggest hits of 2003 and it's a good it's you know it's a really good fucking song (laughs) slow jams so he also has i think as they're shooting this movie i think he has the most fraudulent featured credit on a number one hit like maybe ever like the only real contender is janelle Monet on we are young do you know what I'm what? talking about? Which hit is it? He's he, Gold Digger, 
is Kanye West featuring Jamie Foxx. I thought that song came out in 2006. I think that's 2005. Is it? Yeah, because it's on late registration, buddy. It's, it's 2005. Um, oh, yeah, you're right. It is 2005. Yeah. I think people think because of that credit that the Ray Charles sample that is the beat of Gold Digger is, <laughs> is Jamie Foxx. Fox. But all <laughs> Jamie Foxx is is the like acapella intro to yes. that song. That she took my money. She took my money. Yeah, that yeah. part. That acapella intro is Jamie Foxx. The rest of it is just an actual Ray Charles sample. And he is a peak forever set gets to say that he has a billboard number one hit song because of that it's insane it goes even it goes even <laughs> further than that because i think because Slow of that jams song, is so fucking good by the way i think i, <laughs> I think because of gold digger people wretch and people mistakenly thinking that jamie fox is doing the ray charles sample on gold digger i think they retroactively think that he is performing all of the ray charles music in ray as well which he he's did not doing do. a lot of it in ray though He's doing a lot of the early stuff yeah. before you hit the actual tracks that were released on record. All of yeah. that stuff later in the film is the actual Ray Charles. He's he's doing he's he's doing more than some people who've won Oscars for playing musicians have done. That's you know that's definitely true. But I think there's this rumor that he did all of the no. music in that film. Yeah, they wanted. I I remember when that movie came out. They really pushed how hard he, how much of it was actually him, in that. Um, well. But Part so, of the magic of that film is that you can tell that he's actually singing on set, regardless yes. if he is actually regardless of the sound I mean, that design movie of is, the film is him or not. That movie is terrible, but <laughs> that movie is awful. Um, but this is what I'm saying: is Jamie Fox ends up refusing to shoot outside the United States, which leads to the weird scenario of this movie, which is that. For all of Jamie Foxx's big dogging and divaness and insisting that he be the star of the movie, he is kind of not really in this movie because <laughs> they yeah, have to yeah. cut around him so much. Well, it's weird because the beginning is clearly Tubbs's movie. And then <laughs> yeah. at some point it just becomes Crockett's movie and it ends as Crockett's when, movie. When I saw this movie at Momi, before they screened it, they showed a clip from like a season three episode of the show. Yeah. And I am not a Miami Vice, the TV show person. Quote so. unquote, when the show got bad because Michael Mann left after season two. Sure. Yeah. Uh, it might have been earlier. I am not a Miami Vice, the TV show person. So apologies to any real heads out there if I get this wrong. But I whatever. Whatever the clip he showed was, it was from like the end of an episode where like they're in like New York or something and like Crockett's with a woman and she and he's like made the decision to like quit the Miami PD and stay and not go back to Miami with Tubbs and stay with this woman and like live a life with her. And then when push comes to shove, he like he can't do it and he leaves her and he goes back to the airport and he reunites with his one true love, which is his partner. Right. And Tubbs is the one. Tubbs is the one in New York. Is it? I don't even. I think it no, was. No, no, no. I'm. I'm asking you because you said both names. I think they're both out of Miami, and Crockett yeah. decides to stay, but then he like does the run through the airport thing to get on the plane with Tubbs to go. Crockett's back to Miami. the one that's with the woman. Yes. in New York who comes back. My yes, gotcha. but he decides, I think it's that. Roughly, regardless, it's that idea, and the reason he showed this was he's like. 
I think I think this show is about brotherhood and I think this movie is about brotherhood. And obviously he and he didn't like he didn't say it outright, but he's like, and for people who understand implicitly then, yes, you understand that this movie is ultimately about a movie about Crockett leaving the woman he loves to be with Tubbs. Yeah. But I don't think that's what this movie is about. And I thought that was no. such a funny framing because I don't think this movie is about that relationship. And there's a quote from Colin on the Wikipedia page. Who where said he says, that? Who said that at Momi? Just the programmer. Just the programmer. Just the programmer. You know, like, he was doing the intro yeah. spiel, right? And he was like, I want to show you guys this clip. And I was like, let's fucking watch this clip. Um, it was, <laughs> it was, they had done a Michael Mann retrospective at Momi last year. Uh, and it was just the guy who programmed that. Gotcha. Um, Momi gang, if you're in New York, go to fucking see movies at Momi. It's a good theater. I can't speak to the museum, but it's a good theater. <laughs> um, I never, I never went, I never went to the museum. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, but I don't think this is a movie about those two guys. And I think that's like the first insane thing about this movie is that this takes like one of the great buddy cop TV shows and makes it about one of the two guys. And I know that's a quirk of the production. But it is the movie. It is, Connor, it is the hand we have been dealt at 12.48 o'clock on a <laughs> Sunday afternoon. <laughs> well, I it's, it's, it's very strange because I've seen a decent amount of the show, which I've I only started watching recently, really. Um, I've and, only seen the pilot. Which is in, incredible. Which is incredible. Which is so good. Which the pilot itself is one of the best films of the 80s. Sure. Yeah, it's so good. Like, you get it. You watch the pilot and you're like, oh, I get why this show was such a sensation. Again, the sequence within the air tonight when they're driving in the Ferrari and and Crockett pulls over on the side of the road to ask his ex-wife if it was ever real before they get to the shootout that they finished the episode on. (laughs) I mean, that's the Michael Mingo. It's like, okay. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily want to say, like, TV was ugly and then Miami Vice came along because I don't think that's yeah. true. Like get like a drink in me and I will start talking about how like season one of cheers is like some of the best directed cinema of all time in it's like effortless simplicity. Um, but certainly there is, you watch the pilot of Miami Vice and you're like, it, it is just such a break in terms of like visual mm-hmm. splendor from any network show that had ever been like what was good yeah. about old TV is different from what is good about Miami Vice. I also think that Michael Mann being connected with Miami Vice, who is a figure of cinema uh, as much, if not more than he is a figure of television yes. um, to kind of exist in our minds as um, a man <laughs> of the movie industry and not a man of the television industry. I think Due to that reason, Miami, the show Miami Vice kind of outweighs everything that St. Elsewhere had been doing for a few years up until yes. the point when the show came out. Another show I've not seen, though I should, because Denzel's on it. Yeah, I, I was speaking it. to my dad because um, my dad used to bring this up. At, like When I first watched The Sopranos, I would ask him, I would be like, this really feels to me like the first time that television was being made the same way movies were. And my dad would go, mm, you, you haven't seen Miami Vice though. And I was talking to him and he was basically saying that for a good year and a half when the show first started during the Michael Mann run, when he was executive producer before Dick Wolf took, took it over and kind of tanked, I think what a lot of people liked about the show. Um, it was like the most important thing that you could do on a Friday night was watch Miami Vice before going out with your friends or watching it with your friends. Um, And 
just the idea that the show was bringing to people's television sets the same quality that you would see if you went to the movie theater, which um, didn't really happen. Like so, we've been going for like over an hour and a half. Yeah, uh, you're gonna lose your mind. I say, should I maybe do a plot synopsis? Should we? Should we try? <laughs> We're to, getting so bad. Should we go scene that. by scene. Should we go scene by scene? We don't have time to go scene by scene. I think we. We do not have time. Connor, I have to go to work. We have like at most 80 more minutes. <laughs> oh, damn. Okay. I'm yeah. Do I am synopsis. so sorry. Um, okay. That's right. We're, we, we need, okay, Connor, pledge between the two of us. We need to get better about this. Um, I am not making that. that uh, okay. Promise. I'm not either. Fuck that. <laughs> this week we were talking about the 2006 Michael Mann film, Miami Vice. Come on, get on with it. They're Colin, in the Farrell, Colin Farrell, Jamie Foxx, Naomi Harris, Elizabeth Rodriguez, Dominic Lombardazzi, Justin Thoreau, Barry, Shabaka Henley, Gong Lee, Luis to- Tosar, the great Luis Tosar, John Ortiz, and Kieran Hines, and the fucking homie John Hawks. Okay. This movie is about Crockett and Tubbs. They are undercover cops in the Miami-Dade Vi- Police Department. They are vice cops, right? One night, they get a tip-off from an old informant of theirs that an FBI operation has gone really bad, which culminates in the informant's family getting murdered and the informant committing suicide. Uh, In order to track down what happens, they discover that this informant was working with an interagency federal task force uh, to track down cocaine uh, trafficking into into Miami, Um, realizing that the task force has a leak uh, the the local FBI director deputizes Crockett and Tubbs to go undercover and try to determine the source of the leaker. Uh, posing as drug traffickers, they are able to track down a labyrinthine uh, criminal conspiracy that first seems to just be white supremacists working strictly in Miami, then seems to be uh, Colombian drug trafficker Jose Yero uh, moving weight to the Cubans and to the white supremacists and gradually reveals itself to be this almost military-esque vast conspiracy trafficking operation run by a mysterious and reclusive drug kingpin named Angel Montoya. In maneuvering here, Sonny Crockett, played by Colin Farrell, meets and falls in love with Montoya's right-hand woman, Isabella, played by Gong Li, a Chinese-Cuban drug trafficker. The two fall in love and begin an affair. Jose Yero, realizing that he's being iced out by these two guys who he doesn't realize are cops, uh, rats out the affair to Montoya and then has the white supremacist kidnap Tubbs's girlfriend. Uh, what's her name? Trudy. Trudy. Tubbs's girlfriend, Trudy. Um in order to recontrol the drug flow from these two new interlopers. Uh, Rather than submit to Yarrow, Crockett and Tubbs decide to break their undercover identities, go off script and rescue Trudy, who is nonetheless injured in the attempt. Uh, This then takes them to head with Yarrow. Uh, The two sides meet under the auspices of finishing up the drug operation uh, instead, a massive shootout occurs. Everyone is killed. Montoya flees. Isabella figures out that Sonny is a cop. Uh, he, rather than arrest her, uh, manages to get her out of the country uh, and an acknowledgement that he still loves her, even though he'll never see her again. And then rather than flee the country with her, he returns to his life as a cop. 
uh, and reunites with his old partner. Did I basically get it all? It's kind of convoluted. Yeah, you got it all. The, I don't. I don't actually think it's convoluted. There's a lot of circumstantial yes. stuff that puts the drama of the story into play. It's, it's like convoluted. The fact that the a lot of the drama of the story hinges on Yarrow not necessarily having any suspicion that Crockett and Tubbs are cops, but no. just not liking them and not liking their business he, and putting things into play just because of the fact that he doesn't it, that he thinks that they're encroaching on his space yes. with Montoya. It is it is one of the most interesting things about this movie that the thing that like cracks everything down is that for them to they're be successful. Job. They're too yeah. good at being undercover that they like yeah. destabilize the power structures and that fucks everything. I think, I think this movie is kind of a bit hard to follow, especially the first time you've seen it for two reasons. Definitely. The first is that the whole structure of Montoya's criminal enterprise is dense and knotty and never really untangled. And it always feels like there's more layers to it that aren't getting uncovered. And that's mm. that is by design because they only see bits and pieces of it, right? And you'd expect a movie like this to have more of a sense of like, well, he's the bad guy. He needs to get taken down. Therefore, we're going to find out everything about him. But that's not what this movie's interested in. There are Point also of- segments of mockumentary where man is trying, man yes. is clearly interested in the mechanics of highly sophisticated drug organizing <laughs> or highly sophisticated criminal. Yeah. And just how the maneuver even, even at a level above legitimate multi-billion dollar businesses because of all of the procedures of security and um, elusiveness that they have to undertake to not get yeah. it bought out so there's like a sequence early in the film that involves uh information being put on a thumb drive being passed off to like five separate people throughout Cidro del Este before it ends up in Yaro's hands and the only piece of information that's on that thumb drive is just information about the secret identities that Crockett and Tubbs have undertaken yes that was that was like the reason it was such a big deal is because they had to illegally hack into American government databases to be able to get these planted identities. And yes. they didn't want to, they didn't want that line of communication directing straight to Yero's computer. So they had to, but that's a very, that's a very complex. But you don't understand what you're sequence. watching when you're yeah. watching it. You're just like, and there's yeah. a lot of stuff in this movie. That's like, that. there's an idea. There's a thread that is, laced throughout this movie that is made more explicit in black hat and then is like the core thesis of heat Two, which is this idea that once computers have entered the game crime changes right and like the existing understandings of what crime is like can't still exist um and there's an essence of that in heat one also there's a little of that in heat one but it's really these these two movies and that novel uh, with that novel being interested in it strictly from the side of like, you are a mob, you are in an organized crime ring as this change is happening. But there's that scene early on where they're, they're going to meet with Yero and Sonny says this thing that like, this feels like the Marines, right? Like he's, he's watching the like, the way that these drug guys are moving and the, the intel they're getting. And he's like, this feels like the war on terror. This feels says, like I'm watching the U S military. Yeah. They're the, when they're on their way to the, their meeting with Montoya, 
um, he realizes that their phones, their their cell yeah. service is being actively blocked, and he and Tubbs are are commenting on the fact that this is what the CIA does, and exactly, and this is what they're doing in Baghdad. Yeah, and um, but but that's the like, thing. How it's, on earth did these drug organizations get a hold of this technology and this sophistication that matches and, the American military? And so much of this movie is concerned with this incredibly dense web of counter intel and false flag information and like the fact that like you have to have a working intelligence operation before you can start doing criminals, right? You have to be yes. thinking like a government. But that's the thing. It's not the cops in this movie who are doing that. It's the criminals who are doing that and the cops are playing catch up. You've got these two, like not even federal cops, like just local vice <laughs> undercover detectives yeah. who are suddenly thrust into this high tech world of international drug smuggling. And it's like, well, they're never as good as they are. And they're good because they're Michael Mann protagonists. I think the idea of this movie is they're never going to be good enough because the the other side is playing a whole different game and they just have to be trying to play catch up. And that's the problem. This movie is like their OPSEC is blown from day one. Their OPSEC is blown and they're yeah. always on their back feet. And that's why I think this movie is hard to follow because it's about this sense of like you're cops. You're good at busting pimps in nightclubs. What do you do with this? How do I you do handle this? And you can't. I do think there's an idea that Crockett and Tubbs might be good enough to take, but they're out. not good enough because they because they they can't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good they are. The 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 bigger no, picture is the too whole, big. But the movie the movie but the movie is sick. But that's why they want to continue going deeper. That's why Crockett. Yeah, is I know telling they, them he's like we don't want to. That's pull out. that's what fucking almost kills Trudy, right? Like. Yeah. But but that's my point. Is well, that almost kills Trudy is not them staying undercover. It's just the fact that they're so good at their job undercover. If they, if they but 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 Connor, Connor, why do they Connor, why do they go undercover? Uh, because why of do they because of Alonzo? No, but like, what's their actual mission? You forget find this. the people they they want to find the people that killed Alonzo's family. No. and killed the FBI. They want to do that. Their yes. job is to find the leak. They find the leak. They have found the leak well before Trudy is busted. They could yeah. walk then and there, but they can't do that because they're cowboys. And the problem is they can't be cowboys if they don't have the support because the other side has the support. They're always going to be outgunned. It doesn't matter that they win the shoot. I don't know if the movie the say end. that though. I think that's what the movie's saying because it doesn't matter that they win the shoot at the end because Montoya gets away. No, no, Nothing no, 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 but. But I think the movie, I think the movie is saying that if Yarrow didn't like lose his mind and try to take them out, they would have been fucked without anyway. knowing that they were cops. They would have. They could have gotten anyway. deep enough to undo Montoya's. I don't mind. think they could have. I think Montoya's too big. But He's I think the movie's also saying that regardless, if you get rid of Montoya, there will be somebody else who comes along. Sure, I yeah. don't think, and this is why I think this is not a movie about the action being the Jews. I think this is a movie about love. No. Nah, yeah, love is part of the action. No, love is not yeah. the action. The action is, is the part ugliness the action. that destroys everything. No one walks away from no. gunfights clean in this movie. No. It's that's part of it though. That's, that's part of it. The danger is what makes it the juice. No, the, the fact that the, people do die is what makes it the juice. No, that's because, why Sonny Crockett is a fucking maniac. 
Sonny Crockett is a maniac because he spends this whole movie intentionally trying to act like Tubbs. This is my insane theory. I want to float to you. This is he my take. Trying to act like Tubbs. This is my take on the performance Colin is giving. Okay. Because I clocked something watching it this time. Okay. He is doing a Southern accent when he's undercover. It's not a good Southern accent, but he's doing a Southern accent when he's undercover as Sonny Burnett. Right. Yeah. It, it yeah. like comes and goes and it flips. And I kind of was thinking about this. So you said that like, this is like a Jamie Foxx movie for like the first 30 minutes and then it becomes a Colin Farrell movie. I do think so. I think, yeah. I think when you get to the point when they meet Yarrow for the first time and Farrell pulls the pin out of the grenade, yes. I think then it becomes a Colin Farrell movie so after this... it has been a Jamie Foxx movie. Because it opens up with Jamie Foxx in the nightclub trying to get a better look at the girl exactly. who's getting abused and breaking the guy's hand, the security guard's hand who puts his hand on his chest. So this this is what I'm saying. We, we open with this incredible nightclub scene and we get these two character introductions from these two men, right? And I'm going to actually- He has the Southern accent in that scene too. Not it's no, it's it's different. He has like a normal Florida accent, and got then your like tan in Miami. Get your tan in Miami is different from how you dark. Like he 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 puts a draw on when he's playing Sonny Burnett. But Florida it, people have Southern accent. Florida, but is in he's the South. he's doing an accent. I am telling you, Connor, he is doing a different voice when he's undercover, and I think it is Crockett doing a voice, like trying to play a character. It comes in and out, but it never comes in and out. It's not that you're okay. tan in Miami stuff that he does. I love that. You got your tan in Miami. Um, <laughs> two character introductions, right? In yeah. this opening scene. And I want to flip flop the character introductions. I want to talk about them in opposite order from what they actually are in the movie. Sure. The, really, the first thing we see Tubbs do is they're, they're in a nightclub. They're undercover in a nightclub. They're setting up a sting operation to to catch a pimp and they're trying to take down on a sex trafficking ring. Yes. After they've, they've sent Dominic Lombardazzi, who's one of the guys on their squad up to a room with some of the sex workers and they planted cameras in that room and they're fine. Right. Like they've, they probably, everything's going smoothly. They're just there. But then they see this pimp beating one of the girls like going into like dragging one of the girls into vip and like wailing on her as he does so um the one of the ones he didn't send up and tub sees this and he's just a fucking rocket making his way through the club and he's like taking down bouncers left and right and he's just like i'm the fucking cowboy cop i'm gonna fucking kick this guy's ass and stop this right now even if it might blow the mission crockett on the other hand is introduced in this movie smooth talking the shit out of a waitress right out of a bartender sorry but it's it's not the sort of game he has with isabella later when he has the game with isabella later he's like brooding and sullen and he's like come into me right like he's like he's like inviting her to like ask him questions here he's just like He's working. It's not even like a real like thing he's trying to do. He just starts talking to women. It has he's... nothing to do with the operation of Yeah, and, and he's thing. not going to yeah. fuck her, right? He's not going to fuck her because he's got to get back to work. He's just <laughs> yeah. fucking laying on incredible game. It is calling in full charm mode. And then he help himself. when Sonny, but this is my point, when Sonny, sorry, when, when, when Rico like starts kicking ass, Crockett's the one who like holds him back and pulls him back and calms him down. And then 
during the next like array of scenes over this movie, as you like think about their phone calls, Tubbs is the one who's very direct. Tubbs is the one who's like, let's get shit done. Tubbs is the one who's like, let's move. Crockett is the one who's like, I am thinking tactically. I am making the right phone calls. The way these two characters are introduced is Jamie Foxx is the live wire. And Colin Farrell's the calm one who like counterbalances that. And Colin Farrell's the smart one, right? Yeah. That flips when they no, but, go but undercover. Tubbs is also Tubbs is also calm and smart when they're talking to Alonzo on the highway. Yes, yes, you know. But yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't I shouldn't have said smart. Crockett's tactical. Crockett is thinking tactically. Yeah. Tubbs is thinking emotionally. Yeah. But when they go undercover and that switch flips when he pulls the grenade out, right? Mm -hmm. He starts acting more like Tubbs over the course of this movie. And you see that when he starts to like try to fuck Isabella, Tubbs like stops and he's like, what the hell are you doing? And the answer is, He's acting like Tubbs, and that means Tubbs starts has to be the tactical one, and he's not as good at it. And that's what I think the crux of this movie is, is like, can I act like my best friend, right? What does he order when he goes to the bar? Two Bacardi Mojitos and a gin and tonic. I've seen the opening of this movie so many yeah. times. He but then says, he leaves the drinks at the bar, which is the funny. No, he takes part. him, he takes him, he takes him, he takes him. Does he? He takes him, he takes him. Okay. He buys her a shot in the edit, which is so fucking cool. Yeah. Um, but he, you see him like pick them up. Um, he says he's a fiend for mojitos, but he's getting two mojitos. Is he not? He's getting them for Tubbs and Trudy, is what you're saying? No, because he drinks one of the mojitos. I think, I think the G and T's for Trudy. I think he, I think Crockett the other drinks, mojitos for Tubbs. I think Crockett drinks mojitos because Tubbs drinks mojitos. I think this is a movie about a dude trying to be like his cooler best friend. I don't and kind see... of fucking up. That's my take on it. This watch through. I've never watched it that way. And I think it's because I've watched the show. So watching this movie, having seen episodes of the show, especially the first two seasons, which are Michael Mann seasons before he left to make Manhunter. um, It's kind of funny. It's like their characters are almost flip-flop because in the show, Crockett is the one that's having the love affair with one of their coworkers. Mm -hmm. He's He's kind of, on and off with Gina, who's played by Elizabeth Rodriguez in this film, but played by Sandra Santiago in the Elizabeth show. Elizabeth Rodriguez, who has the absolute coolest moment in this entire movie. She... And maybe in the entire Michael Mann canon, let's be perfectly honest. It's maybe so the fucking problem, dope. Maybe the biggest problem with the movie is when you see Elizabeth Rodriguez and Naomi Harris, I would rather see the movie of them going undercover yeah. and crockett and tubbs being support to them being undercover than the movie that we actually had but regardless i I think this movie's big ding and it's it's not even really a ding it's just like an alternate like that could have been more interesting is that this kind of has the mission impossible one problem where you're adapting a show about a team but making it just about one character and especially every time i watch this movie i'm like the crew is kind of vestigial right like None of them well, get enough to do. They're just there. It shares with that in the show. Like Zito and Swytek, okay. who are Justin Thoreau and Dominic Lombardazzi. Um, you don't really get to know them until you've seen like six or seven episodes. And then you start to understand who they are does, better. It's the same thing with Trudy. Does Thoreau um, have more than one line in this movie? I think he has one line. When he's talking movie. about watching Marlin's highlights. Yeah. In Eddie Marsden's. In Eddie Marsden's house. I think that's the that was... only thing he says in this movie. Yeah, maybe. And then he gets shot <laughs> in the leg. 
Yeah. Um, He's just there. But but what I was saying yeah. was, so there's this like love story for the first season between kind of it it's there's Crockett is with other women, but it's mostly like his ex-wife and He's not really like flirting and hooking up on the job. That's for Tubbs. Tubbs is the one who's like falling in love with women while they're deep undercover and kind of like running the risk of blowing the operation by being that involved with women that that they're going undercover with. So it's interesting that this one flips it. And then I do think there there is a there is an essence in the show of Tubbs being more of the comic relief and Crockett yes. being the cool one. And Crockett's older than Tubbs in the show. And he's kind of more showing him the ropes of how things work in Miami because Tubbs comes from New York um, and he wasn't an undercover vice detective. He was just a regular police officer in New York. Um, and then in this, it's especially in the way that they're styled. It's clear that Tubbs, that Jimmy Fox is the cool one. Yes. And Crockett is kind of not a loser, but he's more I mean of a dirtbag. There's, um, there's the joke that David Sims said on blank check once that I always think about, which is, um, uh, Don Johnson looks like how you feel when you're on cocaine. Colin Farrell <laughs> looks like how you Colin actually Farrell. are when you're on cocaine. Yeah. Um, I was actually struck because you, you, you said that thing when we recorded ask the dusk about like his, his physical shape and how like, he like his how in shape he is is like an aspect of him as a performer calling it. Yeah. He was really yeah. stuck about how chubby he is in this mm-hmm. movie. And I think that's intentional that like this sort of what we think of as the Miami Vice dream, right? That they're like, they're so cool and they're so styled. That's so effortless for Fox and that's so effortless for Tubbs. And Crockett feels like he's maybe trying a little harder to be on that level. Yeah, and then in the show, like yeah. Johnson, Johnson is kind of like effortlessly chiseled by 80s standards and yeah. just wearing like mm-hmm. Italian suits and Rolex. Made watch. Italian suits popular in the United States. Yeah. Don Johnson single-handedly did that. No, not single-handedly. Richard Gere played a hand in it in it too. Mm, yeah, sure. But really, yeah. Those yeah. those two, because what when is my advice? 84? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It so starts in 80, 83, 84. Those are back to back years. Yeah. Richard um, so good in Breaking Jiggle. Happy Trader Sunday. <laughs> Trader Sunday. Um, what do I say? Uh, it is just it's it's interesting that this film kind of like flips the the regular tropes sure. that these two characters undertake usually. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I haven't seen the show, but I don't know. I just think that's, and maybe it is an aspect of Fox wanting to be cooler and so getting a lot of the drama. But I also think about, like, for all that Alonzo, this undercover informant, played by an incredible John Hawks, by the way. Yeah. Uh, not that John Hawks is ever bad, but he's insane in his, like, two minutes in this movie. Um, You know, when, when shit goes bad, he calls Crockett. But... But Alonzo's the one that he seems closer to. Well, no, sorry. Rico's the one. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Tubbs is the one he seems closer to. Tubbs is the one who feels like his relationship. We see there's a photo of Alonzo, his family, and Tubbs in Alonzo's house. And that says to me that, like, well, who was really working this guy, right? Like, who was really in charge of the relationship? That was probably Tubbs. And that suggests to me that Tubbs is maybe more senior. But- Maybe Crockett's a little more smart, smarter, right? Like, yeah. 
Like he's, if you're in deep shit, Crockett's the one that you're going to call. Because he's going to be able to think through things for you. If you need someone to like fucking run it up. He's and the one that why, says, this is the hand we're dealt and this is how we're going to act. Yeah, so, exactly. And I'm sorry, but like yeah. shit goes bad on this mission because Crockett's taking point. And I think that's the subtext of this. Because yeah. he he has to fuck the girl. And he's and, and like fucking the girl isn't just the thing about him pursuing Isabella is it is partially a negotiating tactic, right? Like it's partially a way to like run the market. I think he also wants to be cool and he wants think, to have cool sex. I also think thing. it's a I also think it's a when he begins, he he obviously sees the interest in Isabella when she's looking out the the limo window yeah. as they're as Montoya is driving away, and he thinks he might have an end to get intel. And I think that begins as like I can strike up a relationship here as a way to try to get intel on what we're going up against, yeah. um, to try to understand better. And I think the idea of we'll become partners in this operation is tactically at the time. A, a good way to cement yourself into and to deflect suspicion that you may be involved with the police or do you think capable you of some think, other kind of leaking mechanism that could yeah. take down the operation do you think there's a world where crockett breaks bad in this movie no I don't and think so. I think I think this is why we disagree on whether or not the action is the juice in this thing, because I think that is the simmering subtext of the entire second half. Do you think that he can break bad? This version of yes. Crockett can break yes. bad. I I think I think he is constantly thinking about it, and that's why I find the ending so impactful because he doesn't do it. That he but lets I her go, and then he, he goes back to the hospital. The last shot of this movie is him walking into the hospital, yeah. right? And I, I, that's what I find so romantic about this movie is this idea that this movie is about in this like cold, ugly, brutal, almost incomprehensible world. It's about these like human connections that we make with each other. And Rico has truly, right? Like that's so, there's the, that's why the sex scene, sex, whatever, the nude scenes, flirtation, groping scenes in the shower are so good. Sure. Is because, it's this like this movie's been so sterile and so procedural and so like high octane for so long. And then you get the sense of like, but this is real. This is intimate and human. And Crockett spends the whole movie reaching for that. And when he gets it, it's taken away from him because of the fucking action. Right. And, 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 and it's yeah, almost but I taken also away think... from Tubbs because of the action. Right. That like, yeah, they're constantly under threat and they need to protect what matters, which is the bond. But he finds it with Isabella because Isabella is the action. And Isabella finds it with him because Crockett is the action. That's why because it they're both work. dangerous. But if they were non-dangerous it... people, then there wouldn't be any juice. But they don't end up together. That's my point. That's the juice, man. No. Because everything goes because the juice the juices things, the juices things going bad of being like. No, I can deal with going... things going bad because the high of when things are going good no, is such no. a high. Yeah. I, 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 I think I, there's nothing good about what goes bad in this movie. And I no, think it's it, never good. That's the that's the thing. I, it's like it's a I, drug I, that he's I, an addict. No, he's Crockett's not an, an addict. addict, and Isabella's also an addict. Yeah. They want something true, and they think they can have it, but they can't have it because someone's going to get shot in the face, and that's what happens to Trudy. Like Trudy isn't even like fucking like crossing a line like Crockett is. She's that's just the there. tragedy. That's the that's tragedy. The tra- but I that think for it's Trudy the same. and Tubbs, 
the action isn't the juice. But I, I think it's the same. And I think and it happens because Crockett, of Crockett. I think exactly that's yeah. what Crockett realizes. And that's why he goes back to them at the end, because the action is not the juice. And what he could have had with Isabella can't ever be real. And that's why you got to live now because life is short and time is left. I find it very affecting. I find this movie deeply romantic. I and do too. Deeply I, tragic. I don't think we think about it as differently as you think we might. Maybe. I just think, I think that, so the, when I think about man, I think something that man understands, which kind of goes against a lot of, I think, modern filmmaking sensibility is that I think especially highly intellectual intellectual and avant-garde and artistic filmmakers right. tend to push so hard against the aesthetic thrill of violence that they actively try to argue that there is nothing about it that should be enthralling. Yes. But I think what man understands is that like, for a certain type of man and for a certain type of woman, violence is enthralling in the way I, that dangerous sex is enthralling. I, I and his, think most of his films capture that. And but I the think ending of this film doesn't capture that. No, that's my point. Though. I yeah. think you are describing the movie Heat. I think everything you're saying is applicable to Heat. In this case, Crockett is Macaulay. Uh, and Tubbs is. No, Tubbs is Shaherless. Yeah. Uh, and, oh and God, what's the what's the De Niro character's name? What's the De Niro character's name? It's in? Macaulay. Oh, then what's the what's the Pacino character's name? Vincent Hanna. Hanna. Yeah. I think your analogy works if we think if we're talking Gon about Lee is Hannah and no, no, Gon Lee is Macaulay. No, but that's that that is what happens in Heat, right? Is there's this yeah. sense that like, well, for Macaulay and for Hannah, the action is the juice, and that is why they are ultimately at the end of the day in love with each other and not with the women in their lives because they are drawn to that sense of danger, that sense of violence, and it's like it's a shakespearean tragedy but that's the only love they can have but that's not true for chris right mm -hmm. that 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 when push comes to shove chris doesn't want that out of his life and that's why he makes it clear i don't think that's the case in this movie and that's why i think the shootout is so unpleasant at the end is because there's nothing cool about it it just sucks it just sucks that people die like this it sucks that this is how isabella has to find out there's nothing fun about it because in a better world they would have met each other under better circumstances and fallen in love without all these complications the complications but they never would have met each other but the complications aren't the allure they're the distraction and that's why i think this movie is different than heat and that's why i think the shootouts are so unsexy and functional and ugly and people die in such horrific ways in this movie all the gunshots are awful right there's no fun to be had which is why it's such a weird adaptation of this fucking TV show. Another reason why I think people didn't like this movie is that it's just so bleak. Well, I but the but the stuff that happens in the trailer park is like what I'm describing. It's not though. It's just hyper yeah. efficient. But like Trudy still gets blown up. Like that dude dies in ugly death. People but it's stylized in a way it, that like captures that kind of second to second athletic thrill. I don't um, think there's any thrill there. I think I think it's I think it's pure adrenaline. I don't think it's fun. I I 
and that maybe is what we're just doing. I as cool as what Gina does is, I don't think that scene is fun. I think that Tubbs scene is too. Tubbs pulls Tubbs jumps on that guy's neck, and then he grabs the other no, guy. No, 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 no. But there's the there's that super awkward cut in the middle of it that like kills the rhythm of it and makes it not a cool action hero moment. Do you know what I'm talking about? Which one? Like he he knocks on the door and he's like pizza, yeah. right? And then they open the door and in any other action movie they'd open the door and no no you're so wrong that's the coolest cut because you can see him kind of step back because he's luring the guy outside when when when, yeah but no it just just cuts to this like two second shot of fox just standing there with the pizzas and you're like no that's a genius cut it is a a genius cut it's a genius cut because it destabilizes the sex appeal of the violence I think violence but, is cool but, in most Michael Mann movies, the, but this and Collateral are like violence is bad and ugly and unpleasant movies. It's not. It's not even that. I, I guess what I'm trying to argue is not necessarily that violence is cool and sexy. Although I, I, I am, it is I in am, heat. It is in I heat. I am in, in a sense. I don't even know if it is in heat. I don't ah, think in is. that. I don't think in that downtown shootout. Oh. It's sexy. Oh, it's so I mean, when sexy. he shoots. Tom oh, it's so sexy. It's so sexy. It's sexy. Oh, it's so sexy. I don't know, man. I but what I'm trying to say is there's a there's a choreography and there's an athleticism and there's there's a, like a, a acrobatics to the way that the trailer park stuff is shot that does not exist in the shot in the stuff at the whatever like navy yard or wherever the fuck they are at the end of the movie. And yeah, I but- wish that that if it's not going to, if it's going to do the thing that you're saying, I would like it to just go f- to to fetishize over the tactical nature of what's happening because it's not even doing that. But the, and the director's commentary, tactical. he's talking about, he's talking about how they're forming this like L formation and what Justin Thoreau is doing to tourniquet his leg after he's been shot. But none of that is shot in a way that fetishizes the the tactical athleticism. Of exactly. That's why it's so good. <laughs> That's why it's no, so but I good. think it could be grotesque and ugly, and no, I think too, it can accomplish that. Because honestly, even the trailer park stuff is a little too sexy. Let's be honest; it's a little too cool, it's a little too hot. It's it's the least. There are three big action scenes in this movie, and that's the least interesting of the three of them. But I feel honestly, though, it feels true when it's cool and no them fucking like crammed (laughs) behind cars, shooting blindly into the darkness feels true. But there's even a way that that can be shot that shows there. If this is a if this is a movie about brotherhood, there's a way that that can be shot that shows their tactical efficiency better. I than... don't think this is a movie about brotherhood. To be clear, <laughs> I really don't. I think that's like a bit of a background subtext, but I think I think it is more complicated than that. I do too, I, but I don't think it's a movie about brotherhood. I don't think it particularly. I don't think it particularly cares about the relationship between the two of them beyond the big picture ways everything else can kind of refract off the relationship between the two of them. Does I that agree make with sense? you too. I agree with you yeah. too, but I'm trying to say what you're just saying that this ending shootout is about just the horrible ways that people die. If yeah, it's ugly. It's unpleasant. Okay. It's ugly. It's unpleasant. It's an unsatisfying end to the operation, right? Like they aren't pulling things off successfully. They fucked up. It is metatextually a bad ending to the movie, right? Like it's not a sure. satisfying ending. Not metatextually, and, but diegetically, I think. 
Well, metatextually, we understand yeah. that like this is not the ending they wanted. This is the like shitty cobbled together compromise. That's the way that but, the pilot episode of yeah, the show ends but, with the bad guy getting away. But Connor, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's the shitty cobbled together compromise. That's literally what's happening to the characters in the moment, right? Like they can't pull off their big plan because they're out of their league. So they kind of just need to like cram into a corner and shoot people because that's all they can do because the world is bigger than two cops from Miami. But what matters is the love. But because the world is bigger than two cops from Miami, the love can't be there. That's fine. But I don't think I don't think it actually I don't think the way that that scene is constructed and shot actually portrays that. Or just, I think yeah. it's just boring. <laughs> I think it's just cobbled oh, together because they're running out ugh. of time. I mean, here's my other take is I think it's probably the most thrilling shootout in a Michael Mann movie. No, no. Because not, it's so unpleasant. Not even close. I think it's better than the Heat one, dude. I love it's how not, people die in it. It's not even close. He people wants die too in the cute. Heat one. In, yeah, but in like in cute ways. ways than, in like no. cute ways. What are you talking about? Yeah, it's like all very narratively clean in the Heat one. The guy from The Silence of the Lambs is like intestines are like he's like fine i don't know that i would put heat in my top five michael mann movies but it's like a good movie it's good do you want to do the the mount rushmore sure if you want to you're not gonna like what's about to happen no it's fine who, <laughs> who goes veto first on heat, this one if you say heat, what who goes first to this one you oh, or me fuck you do here's the deal yep miami vice first pick for the <laughs> For the Michael Mann Mount Rushmore. <laughs> are you trying to are you trying to win favor with me? No, I'm not. I just it belongs in the Mount Rushmore. So you're saying it's, it's the his best... unsung masterpiece. You're saying it's the best Michael Mann movie. No, no, no. The the Mount Rushmore is unranked. The Mount Rushmore is unranked. Okay. It's just the top four. It's not uh, one, two, three, four. To clarify, listeners, I think this is the best Michael Mann movie. Uh I just adore everything about this movie. Uh, even it's it's weird, messy imperfections. Well, that I, I think, think it, are just it was so like what I was trying to say about the the new world is that with man, similarly to Malik, the messy imperfections makes the film better. Yeah, because I just find this movie so romantic, right? Like I just I'm so caught up in the whirlwind of it. That's a correct pick, Connor. <laughs> it's just it's a. I think everything building up to his career is building up to heat. Like he's trying to make heat. He's trying to make like every film he's trying to make is essentially heat. And then he makes heat and then he gets to take turns out of the lane. And I think Miami Vice is a turn back into a similar lane, but not necessarily the one that Heat is in. And it it moves a little faster and it moves a little uglier and it's a little more brutal and a little more grotesque. And that's why it belongs on Mount Rushmore. Yeah. No, it's it's great. Like I said, I think it's like the first act in this weird trilogy that's this Black Hat and then the novel Heat 2. Yeah. Um yeah, I I also I, think the Feral and Gong Li stuff is he hasn't been able to do that in any other movie that he's made. No, the the yeah. the, the stuff with Hemsworth and Tong Wei in um it is I did just actually clock this that it it is three like white man Asian woman in a <laughs> yeah. row if you don't count because it's the same in Heat. If you don't count public enemies, I told you this. I don't know. I don't know if I told you this. Um, if they if he actually does make Heat two into a movie, I really think it should just be the Paraguay stuff. Like I I, I think 
that way you dodge the whole. You don't do you think cast. you should do the prequel stuff? I think I think the prequel yeah. stuff is handily the least interesting half of that book, and that's where you get into the minefield of casting young De Niro and young Pacino. Yeah. Um, and I think and I think the 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 Paraguay stuff, the 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 sequel stuff is so much more interesting. I I, I don't know. That would be what I would do. Uh, I know that's a bit contentious because I know. I think I know people love that movie, but I don't know. I mean that, but that book. Sorry, sorry. I blanked. I'm trying okay. to look something. Up. I'm yeah, trying to look something up here. All right, what's your pick? Well, you've thrown me off. <laughs> uh, you've thrown me off because um, <laughs> I've never. Yeah, seen it was gonna be mine. Like I'm, I'm sure. I've never seen. And you now I'm like, like this before. well, I have, I have, I have two picks, and now yeah. I have to like work around it. Um. Yeah, uh, but I think Connor, I think I just have one thing to say to you. <laughs> what is it? Uh, which is that I can see my money is in your pocket, which is from the yield, the yield of my labor. Uh, you're making big <laughs> profits from my work, my risk, my sweat, but that's okay because I elected to make that deal. But now the deal is over. I want my end and I am out. It is fucking thief, baby. Let's do it. Let's go back to the beginning. His first masterpiece. His first yeah. masterpiece a perfect movie can i give you my read on thief sure a movie i would love i'm just going to describe the plot of thief to you <laughs> in literal terms yeah thief is about a man who really fetishizes the idea of having like a traditional nuclear family but none of it comes naturally to him uh, so he buys a house, he buys a wife, he buys a kid so he can live that life. But every night he still needs to sneak away and like hang out with a bunch of sweaty dudes and get all up in their faces and really caress oh, this long phallic interesting. object. Interesting. Thief, thief, one of the great movies about a closet case. That is what okay. that movie's about. That movie's about labor, right? That's one of the great movies about like the worker boss relationship. It up there with fucking <laughs> Thieves Highway. Uh, that movie's a great movie about closeted men in the early AIDS era. Uh, has James Caan ever been better is what I'm going to say about that movie. No. No. It's just a mind-blowing performance. It's such a thrilling movie. It's so interesting that man – I mean, I know he'd already made the Jericho Mile, which rules, but he kind of like just hits the ground running like so fully formed – with this, like, just the visuals and the, like, thematic obsessions of, like, what do our jobs do to us as people? Which is really, I think, what his movies are ultimately about, right? Yeah, I think you we kind of, you and, and me both kind of danced around this idea earlier in the podcast. We were talking about man's romanticism and how heartwarming it is. Mm -hmm. That he just wants to believe in people falling in love and it being pure in this connection. And how pure connections are only broken by these extra... This, these extra natural circumstances that arise because of crime and, and bureaucratic nightmares and, and things of that nature. I think the most telling aspect of that is that his relationship with his wife and thief literally begins with him taking out like a mood board of this is what I want my life to be, which yeah. is just like a piece of hard stock paper with a picture of a nice house and a woman and a child glued to it, like something that a first grader would make. Yeah. And I, that is that is the Michael Mann magic of this type of poeticism, but the the 
bare bones functionality of how do I make this happen? Yes. The, and certainly it is an action as the juice movie. Yeah. Right. But, but in, in a similar way to heat where that's kind of the damnation. And I do just have to stress that like, do you not see that like people are saved at the end of this movie because they don't believe that Miami vice? Like, I just need to make that point one more time that like they're able to walk away in Miami vice in the way that most Michael Mann protagonists are not. Well, but they're also cops in Miami Vice, which they're yeah. not in any of these other movies. Well, the people who he, get to walk away. And he, Macaulay, Hannah does not get to walk away. He has to go. He has to pursue. Like, how does that movie end? Yeah, but That's in the point. movie, he's alive and he gets to go but back to his We don't see him go out. back. She's almost killed herself, right? Like, like because they've to... already they've already reconciled before he goes and kills Macaulay. It's just the order of events is different. I don't think so. I think he's he's left in that field, right? He's left in that field with his one true love dead. Whereas Colin goes back to the hospital. That's the distinction I'm making. Okay. No objections to Thief being like just a fucking incredible movie and having a great Robert Prosky performance in it. <laughs> no, Pro- no objections. Prosky's yeah. fucking great. I love Tuesday Weld. I just love Tuesday Weld in general. She's a great actress. She's so fucking good in Once Upon a Time in America. How do you feel about uh, Belushi in Thief? Oh, really good. I really yeah. like Belushi. I love Willie Nelson. Um, isn't that like Farina's first movie or something? I think so. He's yeah. just got so many guys. Great Chicago. He was just movie. like a consultant. He was yeah. just like a consultant to man. Just a just a great and like I said, James Caan, one of my favorite actors of all time. That is his best yeah. performance. Number three is also mine. You know, I want to say the black hat director's cut. <laughs> you look right? so unhappy. Yeah. No, but that means I functionally get three picks because you picked Miami Vice. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to feel about this one. I think you're going to be mad about this one. But if I'm literally just going down the list and Miami Vice is my favorite Michael Mann movie. There's like one movie I don't want you to pick. I, I don't know. If well, Miami pick. Vice is my favorite Michael Mann movie. Yeah. And Thief is my second favorite Michael Mann movie. I, I should just go with my third favorite Michael Mann movie. And I don't. You look like you know what this is about to be. Yeah. So third pick on Mount Rushmore is the uh, 2001 motion picture Ali. <laughs> Sure. A masterpiece. I'm not going to veto uh, it because I think it's a great film. Masterpiece. Just, I don't like the Will Smith performance very much. It's the best performance Will Smith has ever given in his career. That might be true, but I don't necessarily should, know if it's good enough for that film. He should have won that Oscar in a heartbeat. It's like one of the, it's an incredible performance. What are you talking about? When I watch that movie, I only see Will Smith and I never see Muhammad Ali. Well, Even that's the character in the film of Muhammad Ali. That's what's good about the performance is it's not an impression. No, but right? I'm saying I don't even see the character. Like, I see Will Smith acting in that movie. Oh, see, I see I see a character who's just not... Who's just not the actual... You see the... Just... What you see in it is the Michael Fassbender, Steve Jobs, who's not trying exactly. to be the actual. Yes, Steve that Jobs. is a perfect yeah. analogy. And that's what I think is because because Ali, I assume just because you're you, you have watched a lot of footage of the real man, Muhammad Ali. Yes, I have. Yeah. That, that That is such a particular energy that he had and that that is such a particular charisma that he had that I think Will is so genius in just figuring out how to weaponize his own Will Smith's sort of fresh Prince energy to be someone as charming as Ali, but never trying to feel like Ali to like treat it like a fictional character. Yeah. Um, also like 
The fight scenes in that movie are fucking insane. It maybe has the best opening credits of any movie ever when fucking Sam Cooke is singing A Change is Gonna Come and he's training. That's also right? true. Yeah. I-, I will concede that like some of the rumble in the jungle stuff in the third act can get a little long. Um, I love fucking it ends on a weird, it ends on a strange bro. Show. It kinda just Mario like, Van Peebles as fucking Malcolm X. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's so good. Yeah, it's a great performance. I love Ali, and you're not gonna tell me otherwise. Um, I'm not I gonna veto it. I think yeah, it's a great I, film. I just I think don't it's one like of the, the great, Will Smith performance, is all I'm saying. I think it's one of the great um I think it's one of the great biopics of all time. I have never seen that cut that man made a few years ago that like dumped a lot of the boxing in favor of more of the political intrigue stuff. You know that Ang Lee wanted to make a Muhammad Ali movie, right? Yeah. And they won't let him do it. He wants to do 120 frames per second, 3d rumble in the jungle. No, sorry. He wants to do a thrill in Manila movie. He wants to do a thrill in Manila movie. Um, would have been the best movie ever made, but also Ali's great. Jeffrey Wright's an Ali. Barry Shabaka Henley's an Ali. Uh, Jada Jada's great. Jada's fucking incredible in Ali. Like you just got. We're not going to talk about John Voight, um, but <laughs> <laughs> who's he doing? Howie Cassell, right? Uh, yes, I think yeah. I think he is doing a very good performance under the worst makeup anyone's ever been put on. Yeah. I think that's a very fun performance. I love their banter. I just love that movie. Will Smith should have won that Oscar. I'm sorry. If you've just given Denzel the Oscar in 1992, you can give Will the Oscar. And then Will Smith is going to say this, Academy of Most Picture Arts and Sciences, if you had given Will Smith the Oscar he deserved for Ali, <laughs> then you he don't. doesn't hit Chris Rock. <laughs> he doesn't slap Chris Rock. Man. I right, just say it. Just say it. Just do it. Just do it. Are you going to veto it? I don't know. Am I? It's fucking heat, man. I don't know what you wanted. From veto, me. veto. I'm kidding. I'm fucking. Are kidding. you actually vetoing it? No, I'm I, not. I don't kidding. know. Do you do you actually just like not like heat? No, heat's or, great. I just yeah, love. Or it's just like a bit. I just, well, I just like. It I went just so love... far that I'm like, I can't tell how much of a bit it is or how real it might be. Yeah. I mean, is Collateral better than Heat? Yes. But I don't think so. It's like I said, he is the film that he had always wanted to make. I know he had already made it before as L.A. Take yeah. down and then basically just remade it no, again he's as he. But it's like it's you have the stuff. Macaulay is the same character from Thief, just kind of a, another revamp of that same idea. Yep. Um, You have like Wayne Grow is essentially the tooth fairy from Manhunter kind of like thrust into a, a crime story about bank robbers. It's like all of his interests wrapped up into this three hour long epic about the city of Los Angeles. And Connor, I hope that for your sake, one day you get to meet Michael Mann and you can ask him what the unshot ending was. And he can just tell you that it's just literally what the fuck happens in, in that one scene in he too, which is, I will concede, Somewhat abbreviated because he too has to get also through the fucking like yeah. Otis Wardell shit. You know, did you really not think I was going to fit Miami Vice? Miami Vice I, is my second favorite. Michael I, I didn't think you were going to open with it because I thought you knew that I was going to. No, I can wanted I say, to throw you off loop. I knew you were going to pick Ali, but I think can we'd I, have a better time with you picking Ali than I me just picking Manhunter, which I probably would have done. Yeah. And Manhunter is really low down in my rankings personally. Can I, and, and here's why. Actually, I'm glad. The thing I really don't like about Manhunter, which is also why I don't love 
the prequel stuff in Heat 2. And it's also like my least favorite stuff in Heat. Michael Mann does not write psychopaths well. (laughs) Anytime Michael Mann is like, this dude's just a violent, unhinged serial killer, I'm like, this is kind of a cartoon. And I think that way about Dollar Hyde in Manhunter, Wayne grows the least interesting part of Heat. And Wardell is like such a boring, like evil psycho in Heat 2 that I'm just like, like, can we get back to the fucking Paraguayan crime city that yeah. is just like an open-air drug market run by various triad families. Fucking Heat 2 is so good. I hope they make a movie. Austin Butler's just right there, you know? Like, it's just so flawless. Let me let me ask you about this. Mm-hmm. If So Miami Vice is one of those things like Bond, which is interesting that Bond got rebooted the same year that this movie came out. Um, yes. Another... Yeah. This movie came out in the same year as two other stories about undercover officers. One is Casino Royale and the other one is The Departed, both of which did like multitudes better than this film at the time of its release. Well, mm, like that doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, The Departed is maybe better than this movie. Uh, I I don't want to I don't want to have to like. Man, the part is so good. I don't want to have to talk about it right now. But it's just, you know, like I, I, I do kind of wonder. I do kind of wonder if people would have revisited this movie a little bit earlier if The Departed hadn't come out. Like if it just never got made. If this yeah. movie came out in 2006 and you just never had The Departed to turn to, um, I do wonder if this would have gotten revisited by the critical community a little earlier. Um, uh, but uh, Miami Vice is one of those properties. Obviously, it it began later. In in it began in 1984, where Bond is stretches back to the 1950s. Um, but it is one of those properties where, in the time of the show, it kind of like you said was highly culturally influential, kind of dictated men's fashion, dictated kind of like our ideal of masculinity, American masculinity, very much the same way that Bond does. So there's regular talk all the time of like, what if Miami Heat got rebooted today? And I wanted to flip the question to you is like, is Butler the obvious choice to be Crockett if they did mm, heat right now? If they, I mean, probably, if they did right is it probably. Butler? Is it Butler and Michael B. Jordan? Like, are they the two? Obvious no, choices? no, it's no, it's, um, it's Gosling and Michael B. Jordan. Okay. Yeah. Can I just, can I just tell you some movies that came out in the year of our Lord, 2006? One of the greatest movie years. It's such a good year. I'm not even counting stuff that had festival premieres here. I'm just saying, like, movies that came out. Uh, You already said The Departed. You might might know about a little movie called Miami Vice. (laughs) Uh, My favorite movie, maybe of all time, uh, John Cameron Mitchell's Short Bus. Yeah. A little movie called The Prestige. Yep. A little movie called Jackass Number 2. A <laughs> uh, little movie called Bug by William Friedkin. How are you going down this order? It's like Verho- I'm just looking at a list. Verhoeven's <laughs> Black Book, Spike Lee's When the Levees Broke, a uh, little movie called Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, a little movie <laughs> called Rocky Balboa, Inland Empire. I'm not going to say this next one because Dan Moore might listen to this podcast. Um, so I'm skipping one. Uh, Half Nelson, speaking of Gosling, Old yeah. Joy, the Reichardt's Reichard- comeback, Stick It. Have you fucking seen Stick It? <laughs> the Good Shepherd? Andrea Arnold's Red Road? Oh, I'm sorry. What's that? Deja Vu by Tony Scott? Marie yeah. Antoinette? 
Inside Man, Devil Wears Fucking Prada, Notes on a Scandal, Silent Hill, The Black Christmas Remake, The Black Dahlia, World Trade Center, which I know you've never seen, Jet Li's Fearless, like a fucking guy recognizing your saints. Have you seen that? You would like that movie, I think. You would really like that movie, I think. Just fucking cooking left and right. I would just kill for a year like that. Like if next year was like that. I would sacrifice somebody. Like if I had to sacrifice somebody to the gods, I would maybe do it. Yeah, it's a good year. It's a really good year. Um, But I guess if we're thinking about it in the sense of like, I was going to say, I think the idea of my, I think the idea of rebooting Miami Vice is you are getting that sense of American gigolo. Like we're going to fetishize the Italian suits and the nice, um, and the nice cars and that stylization that existed in the show that pushed men's fashion and men's culture forward, um, which this movie like decidedly turns against from doing. And I know that they're wearing like designer clothing, but like the cut of it just doesn't like accentuate their bodies in the way that like when you're looking at these other influential pieces that are connected to the fashion world as much as the show originally was tend to do. And I do wonder if part of that is because you did have movies like SWAT and you did have movies like too fast, too furious, which is essentially a knockoff of trying to do Miami vice in the fast and furious world. You do have bad boys too, which is essentially Miami vice, but with Will Smith and Martin Lawrence directed by Michael Bay. And I wonder if, I wonder if, those films in any way whatsoever. And I don't feel like Michael Mann watched them, but I just wonder if the the prevalence of those films in any way whatsoever turned Michael Mann even harder away from doing that on the big screen. In Maybe. I definitely remember when this movie came out, because I, I fully only had a sense when this movie came out as Michael Mann is like an Oscar-y person. Uh, yeah. and I remember when this movie was announced because, because you know, Insider Ali and even Collateral had the Jamie Foxx nomination. Um, and I was like, why is Michael Mann making a Miami Vice movie? And people would say to me, well, he did the TV show, and I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I hadn't seen Heat at this point, I just knew that he made Ali, right? I know it'd be like being told that, like, it'd be like being told that I don't have a good sorry, I don't have a good metaphor off the top of my head. Um, um, there's something we have, to but talk it would be about. like it would be like being told that Wes Anderson was involved with Cheers. Yes, you know. Yes, you wouldn't really understand how to piece it together without living it, through the moment, it, without it, living through the progression of that guy's career. It's like if you told me Paul Thomas Anderson was doing a Married with Children, uh, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson was doing a King of Queens reboot, and yeah. then and then it was like, oh, he show ran. He King actually of Queens. executive produced King of Queens, and you're but like, all what? but if you ex- yeah, but like and yeah. like. Uh, Obviously, it makes more sense with the full understanding of Michael Mann's career. But if you just know him as the guy who made The Insider and Ali, right? And then Collateral, yeah. which is even this like artsier action movie. Um, Collateral, the second best transporter movie, uh, famously. <laughs> okay, we what's haven't talked best? about what's the best transporter? Tra- transporter, transporter, transporter two, transporter two. Have you seen Transporter two? Is that the one with the chick? She's got like the boy haircut with the bangs from her. I think the transported one that might be transported too. Um, there's something very important we have to talk about that we haven't talked about somehow, even though we've been gone for almost three hours. <laughs> what is it? It's a big one. 
Is Colin Farrell good in this movie? <laughs> oh, yeah, I think he's. I think he's undeniably good. I think he's incredible in this movie. Yeah. It's so good. Like I said, I think it's interesting so... the way they talk about him in that Vulture article that when they're talking about Fox acting like a diva, they say, um, "Let me find it right here." Uh, might take me a second, but there, she's the author of the article, um, Kim Masters. She interviews crew members. Um, and almost all of them essentially say that Fox was pretty disruptive and prevented them from doing their jobs and finishing the film. But Farrell, like, despite whatever was going on in his personal life away from set, he would show up every day ready to work and ready to get yeah. his job done. Yeah. Uh, just, just, just watching it this time and like being struck by like what I'm seeing is like choices he's making where Crockett is acting. Right, that I feel like a lot of this is Crockett giving performance, and what I see is this like this willingness to have Crockett like not give a great performance in a lot of those scenes that all feels very controlled on Colin's part. But you know, it's just it's just so soulful, right? Just, yeah. just it's what I've said about him being a reactive actor. You put him in an environment like Man's where he can just play off people and he just locks in. And I think it's the same thing with Malik, right? That he just like locks into this truth in these very unpredictable shooting styles. This is what one of the crew members said. Yes, Colin comes to play around, but he always showed up on time and prepared. Jamie is more of a diva in the sense that he was afraid of boats, afraid of planes. There were a lot of things that he was afraid of for himself while Colin will do anything. And I think, you know, we struggle with this in the earlier part of this podcast where he was working with not so great directors at times and in kind of misguided films. And I think we've always had this idea of Colin as somebody who's willing to give himself fully to an auteur and yes. be able to be able to manifest what the auteur wants to see on the screen. And he has, we've spoken about it extensively. Um, maybe we haven't done like a true deep dive onto how serious his problems were and I don't even necessarily know if that text exists out there. I I just um, said the other week I yeah. I don't think he's ever really dug into it. I I yeah I found I some interviews he gave in 2008, which was like his first time really addressing it, and it was a lot of just like you know you just hit rock bottom. It was a lot of stuff like that. He wasn't like he was like partying was great. It was so easy to have access to the stuff, but eventually you just hit a point where you have to stop. And yeah. like he and that's fine. I found an interview that he gave with an Irish magazine in 2018. Um, well, he goes he was, back to rehab in 2018. I know. Um, but yeah. he was speaking about his original bout um, with the issues. And I, I think I think what I'm starting to understand more is from somebody who's never really like interacted with drugs, never had like a problem like that in my life. I've had problems, just <laughs> nothing like that going on, is you tend to think that, oh, this person was involved with drugs from the outside perspective, like everything must have been a whirlwind to them at the time. But I think from what I'm starting to understand more is it's not necessarily like he was high all the time, 24 seven, that he would go through these binges in between projects where for months at a time, he would party nonstop. And then the project would start up and he would maybe drink at night or do some drugs on the weekend, but he would always show up to work sober and ready to go during the day. And I think that just yeah, caught you up don't... to him. Yeah. You don't ever hear uh, stories about him being like a nightmare on set. 
I think that just caught up to him in a way. And he is an emotionally intelligent and I think a responsible enough person to say, this hasn't destroyed my career yet, but I can feel it going a ways and I need to get help. And that's why he sought out and went to rehab. I was listening to his interview with Bill Simmons from years ago, which is the one where he initially said that he doesn't remember most of the filming of Miami Vice. Yes. And he had an interesting remark in that one where he said that he got so famous so young and he felt like he never wanted to grow up. So he went from t- the age of 21 to the age of 28, but he always wanted to be the age of 21. And then one day he took a step back and he was like, oh my God, my body is falling apart. Yeah. I can't do this anymore. I, I'm, yeah. I'm reading back through this interview that he gave with the Daily Mail in like 2010, I think. Yeah. Um, and he does express a lot of those ideas. He said his kid was a big part of it. Um, that it was it was just more like a a, a health. I think thing. I've read this same interview that yeah. you're talking about. What did I say? Where Here's he the quote. Doesn't he say something like, "The magic with his kid is all the simple things that other parents take for granted. Just him Possibly. being able to overcome his seizures yeah. and being able to to live a normal life on a day to day basis is something that." that is pretty beautiful um man i what, love Carl so what does he say the last the last year i was drinking a lot of people who turned up turned up in my life who'd gone through rehab they exposed me to an alternative way of living just before i was ready to engage with it myself uh also we just decided my celebrated my son's second birthday and i think i just decided to live yeah and i mean i think that's telling you know i said he went to rehab again in 2018 um, I do want to note, and not 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 because I think it makes him better than other addicts, uh, but I just think it's interesting. He didn't relapse. I don't know if you know this, Connor. No, I do. Yeah. When he went to rehab in 2018, he didn't relapse. He thought he was going to relapse and preemptively checked himself into rehab because of it. And I think that speaks to how he is thinking about this stuff, that it's it's thoughtful and it's about health and it's about being there for his kids in a way. And he, he wants to say safe and that's good. I think about, I think if you think about the way he's navigated his issues with substance abuse and and lifestyles and the way directors speak of him as an actor, as somebody who's ready to work and ready to prepare and ready to show up and, and perform to get the scene done and to give them what they need. Um, I think they kind of work hand in hand. Uh, it's the inner it's the thing that derailed him was when he was on these binging sessions that lasted for months at a time while he was doing the the PR runs for these films yes then and he was giving these interviews that made him just seem like a crazy person yes and somebody of like I hate to say it but he was probably viewed by the media at this time as somebody of low intelligence and they couldn't take him seriously as an actor all the while well we talked Michael about Mann that seeing in him his ability to do this and Terrence Malick is seeing his yeah. ability to do this and Oliver Stone, even though that movie turned out horribly, it still sees in him the ability to, to, but, to work in this kind of way. You know, we talked about it on, when we talked yeah. about Ask the Dust last week and you even kind of flirted with it earlier when you're talking about that Slate article from 2006. Like as late as this movie, there's still this sense in the press that like, well, Colin Farrell's going to get to set and he's going to be a nightmare. Yeah. That's not, True. And no one ever says that about him, but people just have this idea that that's who he is. So, of course, that's how he works. You got to be, it's just, he's just so good in this movie. That longing 
like so Again, much like of it said, is the physicality, how he carries himself, how he moves through these rooms. You got to be so present and inviting to like be in this particular mode of a Michael Mann movie. And like, it's why public enemies doesn't work because Depp can't do it. I love black hat, but Hemsworth always feels like on edge and weird. And this is the one, and even Fox, the Fox is just kind of just like, strolling through this movie just being cool right yeah. it's never interesting this is a low tier jamie fox performance in my mind because it's never interesting it's just cool he's not but, very present in a lot of yeah, the scenes but too. colin so presents the word colin's so present in every second of this movie and he's playing this guy almost like this very wounded soul and it's i don't know that it's my favorite performance in a michael mann movie it's not my favorite colin performance it's up there i would have nominated him for an oscar this year yeah what is I, my favorite performance in a, in a Michael Mann movie is Khan, I think. Ooh, um, is James Khan? Yeah, in yeah. Where's Colin sit for you? Like pretty close. I to mean, him. like I said, I would probably say Khan. I would probably say Will, um, Colin, uh, Fox, and Collateral, and Cruz and Collateral. Like those would be my five. Both the Collateral performances are incredible. I haven't thought about it that much. I love Heat, but I I really like what Pacino's doing in The Insider. Oh, oh, fuck The Insider. Yeah. Okay, I probably put The Insider up there too. A movie I don't like as much as, but Pacino US, is like fire. But that's up all we talked about it when we talked about Pacino. Yeah. Um, but what what I love, I guess, going back to what I was saying before, is like when you look at what Casino Royale did with Bond, it's like they yeah. have to explain they have to explain why he gets the nice suits, why he gets the SMR, why Sucks. he wears the nice watches. Hate and it. this movie. This movie could have been the movie that tries to explain why 2006 Sonny Crockett is wearing Armani and wearing a Rolex yeah. and driving a Ferrari. He does have a Ferrari, but it's, aside it's, from that, it's... I think what's interesting in the director's commentary, man speaks a lot about how this type of undercover vice police work has changed over the years because in the eighties, when cocaine was a drug that was really just for the upper classes, the detectives had to be, present at like high society events in Miami where everybody else was wearing $4,000 suits and $12,000 watches and driving $50,000 cars yeah. if at the low end. But he was like in 2006, that's not the deal anymore. These, these drugs, which are, is not necessarily mostly cocaine. It's mostly methamphetamine and heroin are being sold by white supremacist groups and by the, the low, the low, the, the most violent people that you can imagine. And this version of Sonny Crockett is not a guy who's going to like art galas in the strip yes. in Miami. He's a guy that's going undercover to try to find out who's selling, who's selling H at like Pearl Jam concerts. Yes. He's the guy, you know what I mean? Yeah. And Colin reflects that. And it's at odds with our idea of who the, Sonny Crockett is based well, on the show. I, I was saying this earlier, yeah. but more so, especially for him than for Fox, the, the clothes feel aspirational in the way that they never do on Don Johnson. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, they just don't, they just, a part of it is 2006 and people were just wearing baggier clothes in 2006. Yeah. But when you watch it today, just nothing looks like it fits him correctly. And nothing fits him correctly. It's, and it's, yeah. And he and moves, it's also maybe that idea of like, these are he clothes looks that, good. these are clothes that he wasn't given like a stipend to go and buy. Like yeah. these are clothes that they seized from other drug dealers. Fox is noticeably better yeah. dressed than he is in this movie. It's like, yeah. it's a thing that runs through the movie and. Which is the I opposite think, in the show. Yes. In the show, Johnson's dressed Colin way better Blaze, than. This like Thomas. subtle thread of insecurity through a lot of the movie. Like he's fronting in a way that Fox yeah. isn't. 
Do you think let me ask you off? some questions. Wait, can I ask you one thing first? Yeah. Do you think he could pull off that look? Handlebar mustache, stubble, slick back hair, sport coat. Could I do it? Can you grow your hair out like that? Because I definitely can't. Uh, I would have to straighten my hair, but yes, I, I could. would too. Yeah. I could. I don't. I don't know if my hair could do that because my hair it, is poofy. Mine is poofy as well, but I've, I, I have had shoulder length hair before. I can do it. I can like, do the mustache. I've done the mustache before yeah. in college. I keep thinking about doing it for Halloween. Just fucking growing out a handlebar. Come on. I look, when I look at my hair, I'm like, I can I can replicate Matt Damon. That's as far as I can. Yeah, go. you should. <laughs> All right. Hit me with your questions. Okay. Does this version of Sonny Crockett live on a boat? No. Does no. he have a pet alligator named Elvis? Are these things in the these show? Are, these are things in the show. No. He lives on a boat with an alligator named Elvis, who was the former University of Florida mascot that he took from campus. No. <laughs> Is this version of Sonny Crockett a former like all-American wide receiver for the university? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. Those are like the three main things that they they um that they present in the pilot episode about Crockett. Yeah. I, I watched the pilot like 15 years ago. Like to be, yeah. to be clear. Tubbs in the director's commentary, man said they had this whole backstory written out for Tubbs where he, his grandfather was a civil rights leader and his father was, um, I think like a college professor maybe. And then they were both very, like his entire family was disappointed in him that he became a police officer. And that's why he had to move to Miami because he did, he couldn't live in New York anymore. And then, uh, like, for whatever reason, he was very adamant that Gina and Trudy were both former NYPD. So both of them, like, Naomi okay. Harris is doing Brooklyn. Yeah, she accent. is. Yes, she is. It's yeah. good. It's a very good accent. And they went, they, like, went on runs with NYPD DEA. Uh, I do agree with prepared. you that, like, like my my main takeaway that like the team gets the shaft of this movie is I just wish Naomi Harris had more to do because yeah. she has like two big scenes before she becomes the damsel in distress and needs to get rescued, which is like the the overarching problem with Michael Mann movies is that the women in Michael Mann movies like tend to get the short shrift. It's just. They tend to get the short shrift and they also Michael it's, Mann clearly like doesn't really understand women that well because they yeah. fought like. Um, I forget her name, but the woman in Heat who falls in love with Macaulay, and it's yeah. like, what's going? Why would the you least, be attracted yeah. to this guy? It's, yeah. it, it, I mean, it's why I'm always so like jumping at the bit to make like the queer readings of the Michael Mann movies, yeah, which I think is obvious and present and heavy in a lot of them, especially Manhunter, Thief, and Heat have these big obvious queer readings to them. Um. Naomi Harris just like like it, it kind of sucks when she just becomes uh um a damsel to be rescued because those two big scenes, she's so funny. Like that's what it is. She provides such like a levity to the movie. When they're talking to Eddie Marson, he's like, Why is this happening to me? And she's just like, Cause you lead a life of crime. Because you, you lead idiot. a life <laughs> of crime. Can't do the time, don't do the crime. I need to make a super cut. But she and Gina Rodriguez, or she and Elizabeth Rodriguez are so kick-ass. Yeah. in a way that Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx aren't no. that when you're watching this film like you get to the end and you're kind of like but I want to see their movie like I want to see I the need... movie where they go undercover and take down the entire jungle. I need uh to uh make a supercut of moments in Michael Mann movies where there's like weird twists on the phrase doing time 
because there's so many of them because there's don't do the crime if you can't do the time in this one there's there ain't no time so hard that i can't do it which is in jericho mile and it's in one of the later ones i think it's in heat I think someone says that in heat too. They also say in this one in Miami Vice, they say, if you ain't do time with us, you ain't doing crime with us. Yes. They say that. <laughs> and then of course, famously, as you know, I love in black hat when he says, um, I'm doing the time. The time's not doing me. Yeah. Which is so yeah. fucking cool. That's a great line. Uh, I can do two impressions listeners and I'm not going to whip it out. Cause my voice is shot, but I can do two impressions. One of them is pinhead from the Hellraiser movies. The other one is Hathaway doing the, prison monologue in black hat connor's heard it he can vouch yeah yeah i have heard it uh let me roll through some other things from the director's commentary have yeah. you listened to it no i'm not um, a big commentary person yeah it's implied that he cast john hawks because he saw me you and everyone we know you know what movie john hawks is fucking I outstanding know. in he doesn't say specifically that that's the reason why he why he casts him, but he's saying like, "Oh, this is John Hawks. He is incredible in this movie." And it sounds like he's he's basically saying, "I saw this movie and yeah. I wanted him to be in Miami Vice." Have I given you um, my my broad John Hawks take? I we talked about him on a different episode. I can't. I think we why. did, didn't we? Yeah. My my take is just that John Hawks is like one of our great romantic leading men, and because he looks like he does. <laughs> he he hasn't ever really gotten the chance to flex that. But whenever someone like lets him play like a sweetheart, yeah. uh, like in me and you and everyone we know, um, I haven't seen the sessions. He's probably really good in the sessions. Um, famously, my beloved too late. This is once again, an insistence listeners go watch the 2016 John Hawks film too late. Uh, Lincoln, Lincoln, Lincoln. So good at Lincoln. I love John Hawks. When's he bad? Never. Never. Never um, once. Next up is a lot of the background actors who like play Montoya security and Yarrow security are ex SAS Israeli commando Navy SEALs or other. Okay. Calm down. This is where I'm like, Michael Mann, calm down, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like almost all of them are private are, are privatized military or privatized yeah. security that he hired. You so, know the story that he took Colin Farrell on a like a real DEA bust. Yeah. And then it turned out the, to be fake. I watched the special features with it. It doesn't sound like it was man who decided to do that. It sounded so like man hooked him up with two DEA officers and it sounded like they were kind of like, wouldn't oh. it be funny if we made Colin Farrell think that he was undercover. And when they're talking about, it, they're like, obviously we're not going to bring like the third most famous actor in America right now undercover <laughs> with us because, because like for, for obvious reasons, but they say that they brought him to a meet and they got the guy who was supposed to be the drug dealer to immediately be like, are you a cop? I've never met you before and start <laughs> insinuating that Farrell was a cop. They said Farrell like in an instant, like ripped open his button down shirt. It was like, look, I got no wire on. I got no wire. I'm clean. <laughs> um, can I just flip back to John Hawks real quick? Cause I forgot yeah. about this movie. We've never talked about this movie, but I think we should. Have you ever seen the movie life of crime? Yes, I think with so. with Hawks, yeah, and most F, yeah, where he plays John Hawks plays the younger version of De Niro and Jackie Brown. <laughs> yeah, that movie's good, and John Hawks is incredible in it. That's a real movie. There is a Jackie Brown prequel with John Hawks and most F. Sorry, Yes and Bay as the De Niro and Jackson characters. It's younger men. 
So it's when Alonzo in the beginning of this movie, when yeah. Alonzo steps out in front of the truck, the most horrifying thing in any Michael Mann movie. All you see is the streak of blood that it's goes horrifying. the car. Yeah. And I it w- cuts. I like, wish that the ending shootout did. You want that. That that shot did. Sure. You see yeah. so many people just get torn to pieces in that shooter. I don't Do you get kind it. of understand what I'm saying, though? Nah. It's like, I wish that there was more intentionality to what I'm seeing. Okay. Than, than sure. just this mess of like, you know what it I, looks like we just showed up with camcorders and we're just okay. shooting people. I, I like the chaos. We're just not going to agree yeah. on Connor. You know what I love about that suicide scene, though? Because for listeners who haven't seen this movie, John Hawks steps in front of a semi and it you see a shot of the semi barreling down on him and then you see a shot of the semi continuing on the road and just a streak of blood in its wake what i love about that shot is it cuts like 13 frames sooner than you think it's going to yeah away from the blood you kind of question it you're like did i just see him yeah you haven't properly clocked that that there's blood and when they've cut to a different location it's It's such an interesting cut but, the, but there's, like, what I'm saying with the intentionality of the digital filmmaking is, like, you're seeing from Alonzo's perspective when he's talking to Tubbs, and you see the camera just kind of, like, veer off and look at the road, and the focus just shift to the road. And then it cuts back to a, a shot of him, and you just see him and the road behind him and the truck coming, and it, like, slowly get into focus, and then he steps out into the road. And it's like, you're understanding exactly what this broken man is thinking at that moment in time. And at that ending shootout, you're not understanding what any Because they thinking, don't have an Gondi. understanding of Gondi. the is the only one that you're kind of like given perspective they don't have any perspective it's just chaos they understand there's no such thing as having no perspective ever there is i tubbs should be shot because tubbs is like there for revenge that's his like main thing that he's there he needs to kill yarrow because he's not but that's my point is that you're putting too much narrative intentionality on this scene you're seeing formal unintentionality and you're imposing a narrative intentionality on it and i don't think that narrative intentionality is there because no one's actually at that shootout because they want to be they're there because they no, have to be because this is the hand they've been but dealt the fact at that they have to be there. o'clock on a saturday night the fact that they have to be there is also narratively dramatic it next doesn't we, like that doesn't like sap the thing of of narrative. Next time, next time I'm in New York, we're gonna go to a bar and I'm gonna keep checking my phone so I can say this is the hand we've been dealt at exactly <laughs> eleven forty seven o'clock on a Saturday. Right, night. Let's do it. Um, like a, like one like a couple final things. Um, Montoya is based off of Amado Carrillo Fuentes, who is a Mexican drug lord that. Mm uh that man interviewed at some point in time like i'm not really sure when or why man interviewed him but he died he's insane because uh, michael mann is insane yeah like, but let me like <laughs> but let me tell you this like carrillo amado amado carrillo fuentes died in 2006 while getting 10 hours of extensive experimental plastic surgery in mexico to change the look of his face that he awesome that's skirt, a thing someone would do in so a Michael Mann skirt drug enforcement so i'm like when in the fucking world did michael mann get connected and meet and talk to this man <laughs> and, and how, like how and why did like did it happen because of Miami Vice? Did it happen because of a different project he was working on? I don't understand. But um, that's what that's who Montoya is based off of, and a lot of the conversation in Montoya's limousine when he meets Crockett and Tubbs for the first time, and he says, "I don't buy services, I buy results." That's taken from Montoya or from Fuentes saying that's what he would say to people that he was hiring to smuggle for him. Cool. Uh, Luis Tozar, who plays um, Montoya, uh, great 
great Spanish actor and someone who mostly works in Spain. Uh, three-time Goya winner, if you know the Goyas. Yeah. They're like the domestic Spanish Oscars. Um, have you ever seen, I would recommend this one, have you ever seen Sleep Tight? No, I haven't. Um, Sleep Tight, have you seen, do you know who uh, Jaume Bolaguero is? He's a Spanish sure. horror director. He's best known for making the movie Wreck. Oh, okay. The yeah. the found footage zombie movie. Have you seen that? I've seen that. I have the seen thing's that. incredible. Um, Sleep Tight is like the movie he made after Wreck Two. Is it called Wreck or is the remake? No, no, no. That one. The called remake Wreck is called then... Quarantine. No, yeah. the the Spanish ones. Um, Sleep Tight is the movie uh, Jean Bolaguero made instead of making Wreck Three. Um, uh, Luis Tozar, who is like again an acclaimed Spanish actor who'd been making movies for like 20 years in Spain and had won awards. Uh, it's Luis Tozar as like a superintendent in an apartment building. Who's like stalking one woman in the apartment building and like pumping gas into her room at night. So he can like keep an eye on her. It's such a, he's so creepy in that movie. It's just a great, like gross psychopath performance. I love Luis Tozar. I also love John Ortiz. Who's also kicks ass in this movie. It's an insane performance. Who plays like he he essentially plays the Fast and Furious version of this character in Fast and Furious like in, in the Fast, Fast and, and Furious movies, movies when he plays yeah. Arturo Braga. <laughs> um, you know what you know what movie John Ortiz rules in? Um, I mean a lot of fucking movies, man. We mentioned <laughs> it on this podcast on this on the one that we're uh, the one right we've now. done we're doing at this moment. Uh, man, I don't know. Just tell me. You forget that he's in Steve Jobs as oh, the journalist reporter, right? who is yeah. profiling Jobs at all three events that Jobs keeps forgetting is there. So John Ortiz just every yeah. so often, like the camera will turn, he'll just like pop up and they'll be like, fuck, it's so funny. Yeah. Go I down. love him. I love him so much. You Weird, know you know what uh, else John Ortiz is really fucking good in? Weird filmography, but good actor. Weird filmography. Nobody saw this movie. Did you see The Fallout? The HBO the Max, one, yeah, the, the like HBO the Max shooting movie, the school shooting movie. No, the Fallout, the Fallout is a like it's a like teens after a school shooting movie with Jenna Ortega and uh, Maddie Ziegler. Yeah, um, that HBO made it last year. Uh, Ortega's really good at. I think it's fucking incredible in that movie. Um, but John Ortiz plays her dad, and oh. there's some really good like. How does he like? try to connect to his daughter who went through this horrific event that he can't even think to speak to. And it's a really good, he's never like the the center of the scenes. He's always like on the margins, but that's a really lovely performance and the relationship, the, the, the interplay with him and Ortega. I highly recommend that movie. I think it's very good. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I want to watch a school shooting movie, but it's a it's a it's a it's a it's an aftermath of the school shooting movie like you don't see anyone get shot on screen i will will say that um yeah it's not like the most fun movie ever made but it's good okay i'm losing my voice and i have a job to go to and we do you have anything else you want to say about this great movie i mean we do right we could keep going for another three hours we just can't like we like man i wish we could do it i don't know (laughs) it's it's a it's a great movie it's Michael Mann's great. A like, masterpiece. It's yeah. it's in it's in a contention with a couple of movies that 
coming into this, I was like, there's like three or four movies where like, those are the best Colin movies, right? I don't know where I'm going to feel. I want to like watch everything, but this I think is it's a top tier movie. It's a top tier performance. It's a total masterpiece. That's the least interesting thing in the world to say. But How do you I could, feel about the soundtrack to this? Um, It's half great and it's half bad, but in the way that's funny that Michael Mann has bad. Like, because like, are you into the audio slave? Or... The audio slave sucks, but it's funny <laughs> because it's the vibe. The yeah. awful cover of In the Air tonight that we play at the end of these episodes is bad, but like you kind of like roll your eyes in it. But I will take that because you get numb on court at the beginning, which is transcendent. You get yeah. numb on court into the house remix of Sinner Man, which is transcendent. And then Moby playing when they're on the fucking go fast boat is. Yeah beautiful it's it's maybe the best scene in any michael mann movie is just the go fast boat going you the water spraying everywhere he's taking his jacket off shoving it in the back you see the raindrops on the fucking windshield the wind you can feel the wind because the digital is so raw and the moby song fucking cranks up patty labelle screaming i love i love the film miami vice it's a great movie is that it do we have anything i think i think that's it yeah, I might be a little burnt out. We're so. This was a good one. Uh, I think, despite the fact that this was our worst episode ever, uh, it wasn't like the worst thing in the world. It was just pretty bad. We were in agreement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Our prayers to Jimmy Fox and his family. Our prayers, seriously. We are, yes, all uh, hoping for only yeah. uh, good news. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for listening to the podcast this week. This was the big one. This is the one we're scared about. It's all smooth sailing from here on out. Uh, there's a few more I'm scared about. Actually, I don't know. I'm, there's one nothing I'm really, I was. I gotta tell you right now. I'm I'm like uh, horrified of talking about. Oh, interesting. The yeah. two that make me nervous are, and and I'm gonna bleep out all three movies we just said. But we have a very smart guest on who can carry it and I can just be like a farting monkey in the background. I'm just intimidated by the movies that have like the big weighty reputation to them. Like I just get scared of tackling the juggernauts. Um, We're not talking about a juggernaut next week though. We're talking about a movie that no one has seen. Literally not a person has seen it. You cannot tell me anyone has seen it. Uh, Connor, you want to play the Instagram? It's at above the title pod. He did it this week. Um, Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, and uh, yeah, join us next week. We should have a special guest as we are talking about a very uncomplicated filmmaker and a film that definitely has a cultural legacy. We are talking about the 2007 crime drama, I think. I have no idea. Uh, Cassandra's Dream, directed by Woody Allen, but you know who's in that movie? Colin Farrell. And? I I don't don't know who else is in the movie. Oh, shit. Ewan McGregor. (laughs) They meet, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't they know that. collab. Yeah. It's finally happening. It's the scene in Us where fucking one Lupita sits down in front of the other Lupita. I'm actually kind of excited to dig that. I don't know if I would go that far. Uh, so, yeah, next week, it's Cassandra's Dream. Uh, until then, as always, uh, fuck the police. Stop it, I'll pack the lies. I can feel it coming in the air tonight. And I've been waiting for this moment for all my life Oh Lord, oh Lord
Crockett is. Can you give me one second? I really need more water. Yeah. I'm so hoarse. Okay, don't worry about it. Bad Boys fucking sucks. Horrible movie. Bad Boys 2 is a little better than Bad Boys 1. But it's still not great. It's still a pretty bad movie. Michael Bay in general just doesn't fly. Don't know what to say about it other than that. Hope he had a good time in Psy Upsilon at uh, Wesleyan University. OG Transformers, though. I remember liking it. Or maybe I was just 13 and, and Megan Fox was on screen. So it's possible. Am I going to listen back and realize that you were saying the Babylon's actually good? <laughs> no. 